Hey everybody, this month's episode of the Rotto Talk Soup Podcast is brought to you by Elf Creek Games. And folks, this month, Elf Creek has got a big treat in store for you. Until December 31st, the end of the year, 2022, if you use a special promotional code in their online shop, you can get 10% off anything you see that strikes your fancy. And they've got a lot of really cool stuff. What's the code, you ask? No surprise, it's Rotto. R-A. A-H-D-O. So use the code RADO when you're checking out and you'll get 10% off your entire order of Elf Creek goodness. And you've got until the end of the year, December 31st, 2022, to check out all the goodies. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And folks, that is very, very exciting. But in addition to that, we have got a very exciting uh, new episode. Uh, thanks for all the questions that have been submitted. Uh, like last month, I think uh, the uh, mailbox was a little bit bare than it has been the fact. But we've still got a bunch of really fun stuff to talk about for this final episode of the year. And interestingly, before we get to that, I wanted to try something out because... Spotify. I uh, I got the podcast on Spotify this year, and at the end of the year, Spotify uh, sent out one of their wrapped things, 2022 wrapped. And I figured, what the heck? Let's take a look back and see what Spotify identifies as the interesting stuff that has happened on this podcast. Uh, so I will explore our wrapped. Let's explore it together. Shall we? I looked at this when it came in a month ago, or a couple of weeks ago, I guess. I don't even remember what all there was, but I thought, oh, this will this will be interesting. Uh, you're here. That means you must be interested in this podcast. And now remember, uh, this is only based on what happened on Spotify. Spotify really only represents, I think, like less than three percent of my overall listening. Like sixty percent of you listen to this podcast on Apple iTunes. No surprise there. Spotify, less than three percent of you. But still, Spotify put this together, and I remember there were a lot of cool animations, so what the heck. Let's jump in, as they say. Um, and, oh, I, oh my gosh, I forgot about all these animations. In 2022, I did my thing, and people loved it. Page two, please. Alrighty, and then we will wait for that to animate, which, of course, if you're listening, you can't even see the pretty animations. They are very pretty. Okay, so... First stat, I created, or myself and uh, some of the contributors to the channel, created 9,328 minutes of new content. That is 99% of other creators... That's more than 99%. We're in the top 1% in terms of how much uh, stuff we gave you folks. Actually, how many is that? Uh, 9,328 divided by 60 is 155 hours of content divided by 12 is that is almost 13 hours of new stuff for you to listen to every month. I don't know. Is that too much? You tell me, folks. Uh, you know the way to contact us. Questions at rotto.com. If you have any feedback about this, I'd be interested to hear it. But anyway, let's move on to the next slide. Okay. Uh, ba, ba, ba. More animation transitions. Uh, you can't hear us, but we're clapping. Oh, thanks, Spotify. 
just let's stick to the facts, okay? Okay, then we get the next one, which... One episode grabbed listeners' attention. Can you guess my number one episode of the year? It asks, is it the R&R Show 44, where Will and I did our top 10 games of all time? Uh, the regular Rotto Talks through episode 82 in March? Or Rotto Talks through episode 87, part 1? Obviously, it's going to be the top 10 games of all time. Obviously. And surprise, I'm sure I'm right. Got it. Yep. Uh, that episode our, well, I t- did 424% more streams than normal. Which just goes to show, folks, people like top tens. Um, they like hearing lists of stuff. Okay, wow, 424%. That's a biggie. Alrighty, moving on to the next slide. <clears throat> and, uh, okay, so it has a picture of the world. It says, your podcast loves to travel. Alright, this is, uh, you know, listenership around the world. And it's going to be... Hoy! Um, okay, the podcast is heard in 41 countries. The top five countries that on Spotify uh, listen to me are number one, United States, number two, Sweden, number three, Netherlands, number four, Australia, and number five, Belgium, which is interesting. And now that's actually very, very different than the YouTube stats. Um, I, I still think um, you know the U.S. is number one, but at like only 30%. Um, and number two is Germany for the video channel. I think number three is England, and then number four... I forget. But uh, anyway, number two, Sweden. Uh, hello, Swedes. I should have uh, looked up how to say uh, hello in Swedish before I started recording this. But clearly... I'm not one for preparations, am I? Okay, and then we move on to the next tab, and it wants to let us know that something magical happened between July 31st and August 6th. I had 59% more listeners compared to my average week. Folks, uh, if you've been on the podcast for a while, you might have heard what happened on that week, the first week of August, that had a 60% bump in listeners. I think the answer is pretty obvious. I'll give you five, four, three, two, one. Gen Con preview show. Another countdown top. I think I did like top 25 most anticipated games, or I forget what all I did. But yeah, obviously, talking about a bunch of games at Gen Con, that was a big deal. Very busy week that week. All right. Uh, let's see. Pop quiz. What percentage of my listeners follow the podcast? 30%, 15%, or 47%? See, this is really obvious. I mean, I, how do people listen to this podcast on Spotify unless they're subscribed? Um, but I was surprised. I think I guessed the highest number, 47%. And they said, yes, you're correct. And interestingly, this means I'm in, according to Spotify, the top 10% most followed podcasts on Spotify. And that blows my freaking mind that I am in the top 10% most subscribed um, podcast on all of Spotify. That's amazing to me. But uh, it just means uh, this must be a successful podcast. Who knew? Uh, you know, I started out on a whim all those years ago because we had a, a stretch goal on a Kickstarter campaign. Anyway, though, uh, continuing on to the next slide. What are Rotto Talks Through's listeners like exactly? Let's talk about you folks. Uh, did you know that you folks are... Um, we're calculating the listeners' personalities, says the animation. And the answer is, the, our, my, the listeners of this podcast are enthusiasts, predominantly, apparently. The listeners are super fans. When their favorite podcast releases a new episode, they're among the first to know, going above and beyond to show their support. 
Okay, that's nice. You know what? I would have liked to have. Why couldn't they give us a breakdown of this? I mean, what are what are the other options? What are, I mean, if there's the enthusiasts, I assume there must be the casuals. I'd be curious how many of them are casual. How do they know you're enthusiasts? I don't know. Um, right. Anyway, let's move on to the next slide. Okay. After I get a drink of water and all the animations are finished, which of course you can see on YouTube, the podcast loves making new friends. Now, this was an interesting one. 71% of my listeners discovered me um, in 2022. Say hi. Now, I don't remember. I mean, again, this is Spotify. This is not the podcast in general. Of course, some of you have been listening for years, since the beginning, back when I used to do it in a really weird way. Um, So 71% of Spotify listeners came on board in 2021, which means 30% of you were here before, which means I guess I did not start Spotify in 2021. Um, I mean, basically, when I switched over to Anchor, and that must have been now, I guess, three or four years ago. So what happened? If I was already on Spotify for two or three years, why in 2022... Sorry, did I say 21 before? Why in 2022 did I get a 70% bump? I'm not sure. I hope they tell me. I don't remember if they do because I looked at this uh, stuff weeks ago and I thought weeks ago was interesting, but now I'm, I forgot how long all these animations take. Okay. One episode attracted a lot of new listeners. The top 10 Gen Con must have. 10% of those 70% um, jumped on board with that particular episode. All right, so where did the other 60%? Give me more info, Spotify. I don't think they're going to, though. Uh, So they tantalize. They could tell me more, but okay. Then they want to know, have I been working out? Um, Sadly, no. Ever since my foot went bad, I've uh, stopped doing the exercise. Oh, i got to push the next button. But uh, actually, no, that's not true. I did finally do, uh, got out the... uh, Oculus and did a first exercise last week in a couple of months. All right. Oh, anyway, back to the slides. My podcast saw a lot of gains this year. A 52% increase in followers, a 19% in streamers, and 11% more hours. So, yeah, I mean, I, I uh, right, I, I think this year I must have put more stuff on the podcast stream that I could have been doing for a long time. It just never occurred to me. Like the R&R show and, um, and Grant's now I'm putting his episodes on the show as well and the crowd sorcery. So all the new shows uh, it were an interesting and, and an 11% increase in content, but uh, almost 20% increase in people streaming, but 52% increase in followers means that 30% of me have followed me but don't want all the new stuff? I don't know. I'm not quite sure what to make of this. Um, but oh, those are some numbers uh, for the year in review. Finally, fans have something... You and my fans have something special. What does that mean? As we move on to the next slide. It means that I am in the uh, top... I am of 332 of my fans, which I assume means Spotify subscribers, uh, put me in their top 10 podcasts. 219 put me in their top 5 podcasts. And 66 people on Spotify say I am their number 1 podcast. And remember, if you assume... I mean, Spotify is about 3% of my total audience. Then um, you could apply that to, I would assume, across and and get a bigger number for across the board. That's very cool. That is... I, I guess you like what we're doing. Um, but please, by all means, I can't do it, folks, if you don't send me more questions. Anyway, though, I think that was it. Oh, look at this. I, I can move my mouse around. There's a cool little animation. Thank you for sharing your podcast with the world, says Spotify. And um, I think we go on to the final slide, which was a th- way I could share it with people. 
And as I saw, oh, well, I, all right. Oh, speaking of sharing, we've made something special for you. It's a little animated bitmap that I could post on social media or whatnot. Yeah, because I could have sent anybody to this. 111 episodes, nine, um, 9,300 minutes, 41 countries, and an increase in 52% in my overall follower base on um, Spotify. And that's it, folks. That is the wrap-up. I could share this. I've just shared it with you. Uh, It's saying, hey, you could share this. Made me think, oh, I should just put this on the show. Uh, And you tell me, folks, was that interesting? I'm not quite sure, but it was something. And I needed something because uh, we need more questions. The uh, mailbox was a little light this month. So I figured I'd go on ahead and go with that. But folks, we got all that out of the way. And so now we're going to get down to business. Thanks to you. Thanks to Patreon backers. Thanks to Elf Creek Games. Don't forget, special promo code RADO. There will be a link um, down in the show notes of this directly to their store. And if you follow that link, it'll automatically put the uh, apply the code at the last step so you get your 10% off all purchases. But let's get to the mailbag, folks. We'll do the uh, game-related questions and then Jen will join for some game-related questions and then we'll do some personal questions and then we'll be out of here and I'll see you in 2023. Although, actually, uh, before then, we're going to do another Top 10. Top 10 Anticipated of 2022 will be on this channel before the end of the year and on January 1st, uh, we'll be doing uh, Anticipated Games for 2023. And then, of course, we'll get back to all the normal stuff. So, thanks as always for listening or watching, folks. Hang on, we'll be right back. Okay, everybody, time for the question, starting with something from Elaine. Or is it Alain? It's French for Alan. Anyway, um, Al says, I was listening to your podcast at some point. You mentioned that in spite of all the contributors on your channels, you're still the person most listened to, even though you're trying to convince everyone to watch the other contributors. I would speculate the following. In the early days, years back, I was overwhelmed by the number of games to consider. You, yourself, had to sort through the games and select the ones you would review and those you would pass on. So, just knowing that you considered a game was enough for me to consider it. When more contributors... uh, Excuse me. Sorry about that. When more contributors provided content, I continued to use your selection as the right fit, not knowing if their selection would also make my cut. Too many games already, so your selection seemed large enough as it is. If more people do like me, your selection is quite enough to build a library, and time is limited to watch all these videos. They are awesome people. And I do think that in time, people will watch them more. Still do not underestimate the the charisma and presence you provide to your channel. It's a hard thing to achieve by others. That's all a fair point. Um, And yeah, certainly true. Definitely, when um, Shay came on the channel, that was 100% my goal, was to really have him focus on games that I would not cover under any other circumstances. Uh, You know, war games and, um, you know, uh, player conflict games and, you know, various and sundry things. Because... Uh, my intention was, well, hey, that's a huge part of the market that uh, you know has not really been served by the channel, and there's a lot of people out there who like that kind of stuff. A lot of people who subscribe and like the channel and like that kind of stuff, and it's a real shame we keep passing it over. Now, the interesting thing is, over time, uh, in the I think it's now been almost two years that Shay's been putting stuff on the channel, maybe even longer now. His 
tastes have started to morph and change, and he, I have found, he is saying no more and more often to games that three years ago he would have totally said yes to covering on the channel. But I think he's becoming more of a Eurogamer over time. Uh, no doubt I'm a bad influence on him, although, to be fair, he is still covering a lot of other stuff. But I, I agree with what you're saying, um, and I, in part, that's, I think, what the monthly roundup helps with, because people can see, well, okay, what were the games that were covered? Well, oh, that sounds interesting. We should go check that out. Um, another thing I am actually starting to do more and more is appear in the final thoughts with Kimberly and Shay and Ruel and Amy and Maggie and anybody else who ultimately starts doing run-throughs on the channel as well, um, so that, as you say, my charisma um, is is still present in the uh, in, in the proceedings as well. So that, hey, you know, if people want to tune in for me, well, they'll see me in the final thoughts. Okay, well, I'll listen to what Rado has to say. And, well, okay, that's not interesting. Maybe I should watch the run-through itself. I mean, honestly, I think more than anything else, it's just that they're different. They're different people than me. Uh, you know, they have a different vibe. They have a different inflection. Everybody is working very, very hard to emulate my core style of run-through. I mean, every single person, you know, all four of them, when they came on, I mean, I've got incredibly long, hour, two, three hour long um, critiques I did of their first videos they did for the channel. I said, well, you really should have done this here or that there. Oh, you missed a great opportunity to point this out there. And you're not really uh, giving us enough of a insight into this other thing over here. And so they all kind of went through a boot camp. And um, for every single one of them, their first video, they ended up having to record several times before they could quite nail it. And so I definitely think the raw content that everyone is producing on the channel is just as good, if not better, than what I produce. In large part, because all of them tend to like less goofs than me. Actually, that's not true. Uh, Ruel kind of approaches my level of goof-making. But uh, Shay and Kimberly and uh, Amy and Maggie, they do a much better job than me at actually um, not messing up while they're filming. I think it's much more pleasant for Paolo to goof-check their videos than my own. And then on top of that, you know, they all have their own cool stuff. I love that Shay does the left-brain-right-brain divide. And of course, Amy and Maggie, they're actually both there. They're doing two-player run-throughs with so much charisma and charm. And I didn't think there was anybody more enthusiastic and upbeat about gaming in the industry than me. I was wrong. Kimberly brings more enthusiasm and excitement and joy to her videos than I do to mine. And that's saying something. So I think they all have great strengths. They're all providing exactly what people need to be able to determine whether the game is right for them. Because none of us are trying to teach how to play the games. All we're trying to do is let you know if um, the game would be right for you. And I think it is just a matter of people coming to terms with, well, you know... Uh, they have a different... I mean, their voice isn't as deep as mine. They don't maybe talk as fast as I do. Kimberly does. Um, and I, I, I just over time, I mean, I, I think uh, you know the, the audience acceptance is growing for all of them. And like I said, the biggest step I'm doing to try to accelerate that is by appearing in their videos also. Okay. Well, thanks for the feedback. Brendan says... On my podcast, Pick Up and Deliver, uh, I sometimes do a feature called Duel, where I pick two games that fill similar niches and compare them in detail. Your recent This or That R&R features, uh, this is a thing that if you're listening to this podcast, you probably listen to the R&R, &R, and it's something that Ruel and I do every once in a while, This or That. Um, I'm sorry, continue with Brendan. Your recent This or That R&R features makes me want to see which game you think would win the following duels. Looking forward to hearing what you're thinking. Okay, so he's got five duels. These all look excellent. Excellent to me. Let's do it. Trajan 
versus Praga Kaput Regni. Um, honestly, that's going to be a pretty easy one. That's Trajan, uh, 100%. Mm, actually, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still going to do Trajan. Now, to be fair, Trajan has the home field advantage. Trajan is one of our all-time faves. It's got a lot of nostalgia going, but they are good ones to contrast and compare. They both have a very simple core circular central mechanism that drives a half a dozen different types of things you could be pursuing at any given time. Um, Praga Kaput Regni... I would definitely recommend to people of these two if you need more strong thematic integration because Trajan is definitely more abstract. To me, it's still a very thematic game, but I totally understand for some people they see no theme there whatsoever. And there's no getting around the fact that Praga Put Regni is more thematic. Uh, I think they're probably about similar lengths, right? Gameplay-wise. I would say Trajan is probably a bit heavier, Maybe not, though. They're pretty darn close. That is a really good first duel. Well chosen, Brendan. I'm going to give it to Trajan, but in large part just because of nostalgia. If I were to try to take those nostalgia glasses off... I mean, I'll tell you right now. Right now, if you put both of them on the table, I'd want to play Praga, but that's because I played a lot more Trajan than I have of Praga over the years. So, uh, you know, Praga is more new and fresh and interesting to me and exciting. But if I could only own one... I, I'm sorry, Vladimir Suki. It's it's a brilliant design, but I'd, I'd have to go with Trajan. Okay, next up. Boy, that was a fir- that tough one was first. That first one was tough. Tough one was first. Uh, tough one second. Ray's Arcana versus Motainai. That's an easy one. Motainai. Strictly speaking, of the two, I think there's no denying Ray's Arcana is the superior design. Ray's Arcana is one of the best design games in years. It would probably be um, in my, you know, of the last five years, it would be in my top 20 best design games. However, Ray's Arcana is too cutthroat for me and Jim, so I dismiss it out of hand. But, uh, and, and whereas Motainai is a, a nice, pleasant little kind of a glory to Rome light for lack of a better term. And it just works for me and Jen. It's also nice that it's in a very, very tiny box, so it's incredibly portable. doesn't take up as much uh, screen, uh, or not screen space, shelf space as well. So that would be another reason I would uh, take Matai and I over Ray's Arcana. But strictly speaking, if Jen and I did not mind the fact that, oh, well, I could bring out a dragon that every once in a while might mess with you and, uh, and uh, burn some of your stuff to a crisp, if we didn't mind the existence of that in Ray's Arcana, or if Ray's Arcana would please Tom Lehman, please come out with an expansion that officially uh, creates an alternate balance for the game so we do not need those very, very, very tiny... I appreciate very tiny bits of player versus player there in the game. I just want zero player versus player. It would be Ray's Arcana. But as it is, it's got to go Motai and I. Okay, next up. Agricola versus Everdell. Okay, um, you gave me a hard one. Now you're giving me a, a second easy one. Agricola. Seven Ways to Sunday. Everdell is... Wonderful and charming, and it's certainly more beautiful. I uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, both Andrew Bosley and um, uh, Clemens Franz are in my personal top ten game artists of all time. But yeah, I, Andrew Bosley rates higher. Uh, but the uh, you know Everdell is so much lighter. It's a it's a perfectly fine uh, worker placement game. It's actually interesting. 
They're both just adequate at worker placement. Neither of them do anything really interesting with the worker placement mechanism that you know, makes one stand above the other. But Agricola is literally probably at least three times heavier. And Agricola is still, to this day, even though it came out over a decade ago, still by far in the industry the best example of a um, long-term strategic euro where you can be deciding, what is my final turn going to be before the game even starts? And Everdell, Everdell is very much the opposite of that. Everdell is like, well, I'm getting all these cards and I'm trying to create um, combinations between them and I never know exactly what I'm going to get and I might have to pivot. Whereas I mean, Everdell is the ultimate tactical game. Agricola is the ultimate strategic game and both Jen and I would take strate- uh, strategery over tactics. Okay. Next up, Isle of Cats versus Cartographers. Oh, Brendan, you started out so strong, but then they got so easy. Yeah, Isle of Cats over Cartographers any day of the week because Isle of Cats has no player versus player. Cartographers, it just drives me batty that they're for no reason at all. They decided to throw in, hey, you know what? Every once in a while in the game, how about you hand your piece of paper, the thing you've been working so hard on, hand it to your neighbor and let them destroy stuff. Or not destroy stuff, but let them put roadblocks in the absolute worst place possible. Now, I don't mind a roadblock being put in my way. I hate being the one to do it. And I just... It is so out of place in that game. It serves no purpose. Um, And so, yeah. Cartographers is... Well, Cartographers has that brilliant, brilliant scoring system that they borrowed from Alexander Pfister's Isle of Cats, although Alexander Pfister was the co-designer. Sorry, I do not remember the other designer on Isle of... I'm sorry, not Isle of Cats. Isle of Sky. Um, And, I mean, again, in terms of raw gameplay, I might rate Cartographers higher because of that scoring system. But it doesn't matter. Neither Jen nor I have any interest in playing it, whereas Isle of Cats is just about perfection. Also, strictly speaking, this should have been a a comparison between Cartographers, which is a roll and write, and um, Isle of Cats draw and write, which, of course, was the roll and write version of Isle of Cats. But either way, the cats win seven ways to Sunday because there's no unnecessary, haha, I get to screw with your crap. Alrighty, and then finally, oh, that's a good one. Okay, you started strong and into strong, Brendan. London versus Wingspan. Two of the greatest card game engine builders of all time. Wow. Wow. Okay. My gut feeling, and it pains me to do this, is to give it to Wingspan. And in large part, that's because Wingspan has gotten so much really cool expansion content. I haven't always been crazy about Some of it, I think, is like taking a wrong turn and actually requires some um, house variant rules. But, I mean, I'm looking at you, Nectar. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so much more. Plus, Wingspan is a game where you are building simultaneously three parallel engines. Whereas London is a bit more straightforward. You're just building one engine. I mean, London is great. Don't get me wrong. Um, And whether it's the original version of London or the newer version that got rid of the board, I I love both of them very, very much. And I I loved how pollution works. Or it's not called pollution. It's, what is it called? Or is it called pollution? You know, the black cubes that you um, have to try and balance. And I mean, the engine building there is so great. And London has that wonderful element of, hey, I'm going to have to trash this card or discard this card to play this other card. It goes in the discard pile and it's exactly what you need. And I just gave you what you wanted. I mean, Wingspan, I mean, so London is definitely the more interactive game of the two. The only interaction in Wingspan is just races, which, of course, London does as well. So, I mean, if you want more interaction, 
or if you don't care for birds, it's going to go for London. But if I could only own one, and this pains me because I love London a lot, but if I could only own one, I would go with Wingspan. Uh, but in large part, that is because Wingspan has so much additional content that has been made available. I mean, heck, the, the new Asia expansion just came out. I can't wait to try it. So yeah, that would be it. Good one. Hey, Brendan, hey, make this a monthly on the podcast. That was fun. All righty. Let's move on. Jerry says, what are our favorite two-player, lower-player count Christmas-themed games? Oh, man, Jerry, there are not very many to speak of. Mm. You know what? Let me go on ahead. Uh, there's got to be a way to find... I mean, I know one. I can think of one Christmas-themed game that we actually own. It is Ugly Christmas Sweater. Let me go over to the Board Game Geek. Ugly Christmas Sweaters. Sweaters. It came out in 2020, and it is excellent. Uh, really, I mean, that rarest of things, a trick-taking game that Jen and I genuinely enjoy. And it war- I mean, I've not played at higher player counts. So I assume it plays uh, well there, too. But it plays fantastically at two. So, I mean, that's it. But let's see. Let's go, uh, go uh, since we're on Borging Eve, Holidays, Christmas. And then let's sort... All right. Oh, I'm I'm zooming out. All right, we need to zoom out a little bit. Where's the? There we go. Uh, I would like to see linked games that are holiday Christmas now. Sort by board game geek ranking. Love letter. Oh, I guess is there like a? Is Christmas in love letter? I guess there must be a Christmas version of love letter. They must be referring to that. But no, I, I mean love letter is terrible for two. So no. Uh, Ghost of Christmas. No. Apparently, I've looked at Ghost of Christmas for some reason recently. Um. Yeah, I'm just looking through these. I'm not, you know, a munchkin game. Nope, nope, nope. There's some nice little, uh, the Kringle Caper, the Holiday Hijinks number one. I actually have this. The, uh, this is a little, it's like a deck, of, a, a micro game deck of cards. It is a an escape room. I've got that. We're probably going to try and play it this year. But then it's a one-time thing, and then it's going to go to the Dice Tower Watch Library. Haven't played Holly Jolly. Yeah, there's just not that many. And, um, you know, most of these, I mean, heck, there's an unlock. That's uh, a Christmas-themed one I was unaware of. Looks like it maybe is only available in German. I don't know. That's it, buddy. I've got one. Uh, at least according to this rank. And I feel like there are other ones that I've seen and heard of over the years. Dice Throne, Santa versus Krampus. Okay, um, you know what? It's not on here, and that might be a mistake. I'd probably go with Super Scale Pinball, the Holiday Special Edition. Is that one not here? Holiday Special. Because that is basically, uh, you know, th- th- themed after what many people consider the holy trinity of modern Hollywood Christmas movies, you know, um, which is, you know, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and A Christmas Story and Elf. And it's and it's a great role and right too. No, it's under Holidays Christmas. How is that not... Did I not sort by ranking? How is that not at the height? Because, I mean, Super Skill Pinball is fantastic, but it doesn't even make the first page of this. I assume just not many people have played it yet, and so it just hasn't gotten very many rankings. So, okay, that would be my number two. And even still, I don't really like it that much because Super Skill Pinball goes on too long. But, I mean, it's certainly a reasonable thing to have. Um, Oh, you you know what? I don't see it here either. There is a Christmas-themed version of Patchwork where you're wrapping presents. I guess that would be like my number three. The Christmas version of Patchwork, and I think that's all I've got, buddy. Uh, there's it's it's slim pickings, but if I mean if nothing else, I I cannot recommend strongly enough that you check out, um, 
ugly Christmas sweaters. It's probably too late to get it in time for the holidays, but it is a great little trick-taking game. Works well for two, and you know captures its theme beautifully. So that's that's the winner, big time. Uh, thank you, Jerry. Okay, let's go on to Joseph. Joseph says, first of all, imagine you were having all the contributors for the channel over for a game day. What would we play, and who would I win? Well, I mean, I think the obvious choice has to be, if there was only one, it would be all day, and it would be all of us playing Twilight in, or Twilight Imperium. Because it's Shay's number one game of all time. It's Ruel's number one game of all time. I know that... Um, <clears throat> To, uh, Kimberly rates it very highly as well. So all three of them love it. And myself and Amy and Maggie have never played it. But I very much want to give it a try someday. And I suspect Amy and Maggie very much want to give it a try as well. I mean, they did do Twilight Inscription, so I'm, I'm sure everybody would be down for it. That would be the one game we would spend all day doing this. And who would win? My bet is going to be Shay. And my uh, number two is probably going to be Ruel, because both of them rank it as their number one favorite game of all time. And I'm going to say um, Kimberly probably comes in third because she's experienced with it. Uh, Amy and Maggie come in fourth because I have actually played games with Amy and Maggie and they are better than me. And I will come in dead last. Although maybe not. Because if there's one good thing I'm good at, it is negotiation in board games. I very rarely get to do it. It might I might really blossom. Who knows? But if there were going to be one, it would be an epic all-day Twilight Imperium. And man... Just talking about it makes me want to do it. Uh, and, you know, hey, after that, if there was time, let's do Sidereal Confluence. Because, I, I mean, another one of the same kind of thing. The, I mean, because I never get to play group games with big groups of people. If i got a big group of people, I want to cover these games. I want to try these games that I've always wanted to give a go that don't work well with two. Okay. Uh, next up, Joseph says, Which run-through uh, am I most proud of and why? Wow. <sighs> Ooh. Um... Hmm. Oh, okay. The first one that pops into my mind is actually my run through for Five Tribes because I got that game changed. Uh, for those who don't know, Five Tribes is a wonderful family friendly, um, what do you call it, Moncala game from Days of Wonder. I mean, definitely made for families. It's a great gateway game, very bright, colorful, Tales of Arabian Nights setting. And the original game came with one of the most horrific representations of slavery I've ever seen in a board game, quite frankly, because you had this sideboard of uh, resources, you know. Uh, gems and 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 uh, and spices and stuff you can get from the market, and then also oh, black human men in bondage, right there, right next to the gems and the spices. And I can say, oh, I've really cornered the market on black men in bondage. And like, what the heck? And it was so weird to me when that game came out. I actually covered it way late. Pretty much every other channel had already covered it, and nobody mentioned this. They just kind of said. Whoop, 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 uh, I, I think um, Shut Up and Sit Down had kind of rolled their eyes at it, but that was it. And I come along and I say, what is this? This is ridiculous. This is insane. What is this doing here? This is so out of place. This is not what this game is about. And man, I can't tell you how much heat I took for that. I mean, just endless waves of, um, you know, STFU, SJW uh, guy. Um, and But the publisher said, oh my God, you're right. Why did we do this? And they immediately released replacement cards that anybody could get for free. And then subsequent reprintings of it got rid of the slaves. And yeah. I, would that have ever changed if I hadn't mentioned it? I don't know. It was really weird that nobody mentioned this. And this was, what, six, seven, eight years ago. So, 
And, um, you know, and I think that's an early example of the industry starting to change its attitude about, you know, it's kind of, it's responsibility. As we become bigger and, um, you know, more, you know, influential in modern zeitgeist and pop culture, we need to, you know, kind of stop doing some of the things that we've just taken for granted. So I'm very happy that I was... I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that that changed and that I stood my ground in just, you know, after waves and waves of of, uh, of anger and hate that came my way. Um, so there's that. Uh, that, that, made a, that made a difference, I think. That's the, one, the first one that comes to my mind. Um, I'm really proud of... I mean, I, I got, you know, so I'm proud of that one for that reason. I'm also proud of ones where I, like, really dug deep and what you know, like um, my my uh, my final thoughts. It's less the run through and more the final thoughts for this war of mine. Um, you know, and, and not the original prototype, but the finer version, and um, or the 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 update I did for Seventh Continent or oh, Etherfields more recently. I don't do those very often because I don't often get the chance to play a game over and over and over and over and over and over and over again and do really really deep dives into them. Um, and when I do, I end up tending to make a 40 or 50 minute long final thoughts video when that does happen. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to think that's where I really put my designer chops, um, to the test because of course I was a board, a video game designer for 20 years. I like to think I know a lot about game design just in general because I was a professional for two decades at it. And, um, you know, I, I, I always, you know, for, uh, approach any video I do from, well, what makes this design special? But, you know, normally my final thoughts are like 10, 15 minutes long. When I really go long and deep like that, I'm kind of proud of that too. So those are some off the top of my head. And I'm probably going to, a half an hour from now, think of, oh my God, I should have said this. But that'll do. Joseph then continues. I recently listened to your November episode. I'm sorry for not submitting questions. Oh, Joseph, it was okay. I mean, it, it still turned out to be a two-hour-long episode, just not a three-hour-long episode. Two hours is perfectly reasonable. Um, anyway, though, generally, when is the last day I accept questions for the month? It, there is no, there, there's no uh, hard and fast deadline. I would say try to get it in the first two weeks. It used to be um, that I, all, you know, we always tried to record the podcast in the first week, and it was one of the first things that went up every month. But over time, that has kind of slipped and slipped and slipped. And these days, uh, we tend to do the podcast in the middle of the month. So, I mean, for instance, I am literally recording this on December 15th. And um, and I'm hoping that I'll get this posted by the 16th or the 17th, depending on whether I can get Jen to sit down and do her second half of the podcast today. It might be tomorrow. Uh, so, yeah, in the first couple of weeks, before the 15th, let's say, give or take, is probably a pretty safe deadline. And then finally, does Shake That City replace Tiny Towns? Does it make sense to have both? Uh, first of all, yes, it 100% makes sense to have both. If you like one, you are very much going to like the other, I think. Maybe not. I mean, Shake, uh, Shake That City is a lighter game, definitely. Uh, you know, there's not quite as much complexity to the goings-on. And, um, you know, and there's not as much variety. I mean, one of the most beautiful things about Tiny Towns is every time you set it up, you draw different cards that represent what the different buildings do. And uh, Shake That City doesn't have anything quite like that. Oh my god, I wish it did. That would be amazing. Uh, maybe it will with an expansion or something like that so that, you know, residences and uh, commercial buildings and parks and whatnot could change function from game to game. If Shake That City did that... 
then I could see maybe Shake That City replacing Tiny Towns. But it doesn't. Uh, so Tiny Towns, if I could only own one, it would be Tiny Towns. But I perfectly... I can I can plan to continue to, for the rest of my life, as long as I'm surrounded by all this cardboard, I'm going to own both. Because they scratch different inches. I mean, Shake That City is faster and lighter. Um, you know, and, it, and it's also, if anything more deadly, more harsh against us because, you know, Tiny Towns, you have a lot more control. You're building your own Tetris pieces. In Shake That City, the Shaker makes your Tetris pieces for you. And, um, you know, sometimes it goes your way and sometimes... I mean, Shake That City really can make you just groan in agony in a good way when it really puts the screws to you. Tiny Towns can do it as well, but not as much. So they both give different... Um, you know, They're both about building, tile, you know, tile laying to build cities. Although one of them doesn't have tiles, but you know, close enough. And I mean, I love both of them. I, I keep both of them. But they, uh, but if I could only keep one, getting back to that dual thing uh, from Brendan earlier, it would be Tiny Towns. Unless Shake That City gets an expansion that change, you know, yeah, that would be oh my gosh, so incredible. Anyway, though, let's continue on. Lance says I have a couple questions about Marvel Champions. I will do my best to help, Lance. First, I have the base game. Haven't played it yet. I am planning on playing soon. So I was wondering what uh, thoughts do you have for the first expansion, or what thoughts ha- have I on the first expansion to consider getting? <clears throat> well, don't rush it. Don't rush it at all. Seriously. My advice is do not get any expansion. Do not get any additional heroes until you've played that game 15 or 20 times. Because you have so much variety in that box. Four or you know, five different heroes, three different villains, and what was it? Like four or five different side schemes. There's so much mix and match in that game. And quite frankly, the game is never better. Everything that has come out, every expansion, none of them has been as good as what came in the original box. So, use that box well. Really, really explore all its nooks and crannies. Get super familiar. Start playing with deck building and all the rest of it. Um, you know, so don't be a right. Don't rush out to go and get one. But obviously, do eventually get one. And you know, in, just in terms of monetary value, you're going to be better off getting one of the big boxes rather than just a bunch of little things. So, what have we got? We have got Rise of the Red Skull, the new um, uh, X Men one, the uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and the Spider. Right? It, there are four. Am I right? Let me double check that. Marvel Champions. I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm not forgetting anything. Let's just come back over to the Board Game Geek. Uh, Righty, what have we got? We have got, yeah, Red Skull, Galaxy's Most Wanted, DTT, yeah, uh, the Mad Titan. Oh, right, oh, the Mad Titan. There were five, there were five. I was forgetting one. Yeah, um, the Thanos, Mad Titan one, Sinister Motors, which is the Spider Verse one, and the new one that just came out with, um, you know, the mutants. So, Let's do a top five countdown, shall we? Uh, coming in at number five, the worst of the worst. I hate to say it, it's going to be the Guardians of the Galaxy one. Um, whatever whatever the name of that one was. And it's not that it's bad at all. It is the most extreme and to this day egregious example of really bad... Um, uh, 
Well, it, it's hard. It's too hard. Most people who are super-duper diehard experts at Marvel Champions say, wow, some of these villains are kind of broken. They're a bit over the top. And um, yeah, it's a, it would be a terrible, frustrating mess for you to jump right into. Um, I mean, that would be the last one you could get should get, unless you just really love the Guardians of the Galaxy so much, because it's just totally messed up in terms of difficulty. So, that would be the bottom of my list. Number four would be... Oh, I'm going to say um, the newest one, The Mutants. Um, although, I'm only saying that because I haven't played it. Because, spoiler alert, folks, I have gotten rid, uh, or I'm getting rid, of all of my Marvel Champions um, stuff. No, that's not true. I misspeak. I misspeak. I'm getting off the Marvel Champion bandwagon. With this new release of whatever it's, Mutant Nemesis, or... Um, Whatever it's called. All the mutants are coming. You know, you're getting Wolverine and Storm and Cyclops and all that. Here's the deal. I, I got Nemesis. Oh, what is it called now? That is going to drive me nuts. Mutant. It's called Mutant... Mutant Genesis. Not Nemesis. Genesis. I started playing it. Let's see. Have I actually put a note here in Board Game Geek? No. Oh, right. Oh, right. It's not showing on this list. Let's go over to this list and see if I put... In uh, notes. Uh, yeah. Cool design elements as always, but this seems to be the final nail in the coffin of the original game's attention to verisimilitude. Here's where I get off. This is going to be just me. I don't think anybody else... It seems like I've seen almost nobody else ever care about this. But one of the things that has always made this game so special to me is the attention to detail of focusing on the hero lives and the private lives of these heroes. And now, strictly speaking, the X-Men and uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, they don't really have private lives. They don't have secret identities uh, as much. So it kind of makes thematic sense in both of these that they pretty much just kind of ignore, hey, well, what, 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 what is Kitty Pride's off, um, hour, off hours like? I mean, because there, there's almost no alter ego stuff and they just seem to be, over time, ignoring this less and less and less. And at the same time, they're also ignoring what I think makes the game so special. The fact that these don't feel like just single battles from a comic book issue. They feel like multiple mini-issue epic storylines. That um, you know, And that's the, that's the way the mechanisms work in the game. That's the way the designs of the earlier adventures were. And um, with I looked at the Mutant Genesis stuff and I'm like, oh... They're just completely ignoring that. And they didn't have to. And so if you care about, like I said, verisimilitude, it's really bad for it. Again, if you love X-Men, though, you have to get it. It has to be your first one because it does a really great job of the X-Men. There's another thing that I was really shocked by. The very, very first mission in uh, Marvel Champions Mutant Genesis features um, an attack on the Capitol that looks exactly like the January 6th. Riot, um, with uh, but it's just supervillains storming the Capitol and trying to kill and um, kidnap senators rather than patriots doing it. And I'm like, wow, I appreciate the bad timing, the bad optics. But when I sat down and started to play this, and like, whoa, there are literal cards here of senators hiding under their desks and fearing for their safety. I'm like, Ugh. oh shoot, I just sorry about that. I just pushed the wrong button. I'm like, oh, I do not like that at all. Um, they really should have gone back to the drawing board on that. I mean, uh, when, uh, it, yeah, so 
I, I have I've had similar things like that happen to me back when I made video games as well. Bad, unfortunate timing um, with with content we had in the game. And honestly, I think it would have been worth their while to say, "Hey, let's eat the uh, cost we paid for the art on this and retheme this so it's not set in a literal attack on the United States Capitol trying to kidnap and kill United States senators um, because we don't agree with what they are what they're doing." Yeah, that was. Ugh. All right, but I've heard nobody else complain about that. So if that doesn't bother you, hey, don't worry about it. But um, yeah, uh, I, 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 so I can't speak to its gameplay because I started playing the first one and realized, oh, this just doesn't sit well with me. And so I walked away. But anyway, that's why I would put it, I, I would almost put it at the bottom, except again, there's no way it can be harder and more unfun to play than some of the stuff that was in the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy one. So after that, then we get to the good stuff. Uh, we get to the ones uh, we got the Spider-Man one, the Thanos one, and the Red Skull one. The Thanos one, Mad Titan, has by far the best single adventure that has ever appeared outside of the core main box of the game, and probably I would say even better than um, the core box. Uh, that is the one that I will not spoil because it's kind of a surprise in the storyline. So I'd probably put Mad Titan at number one. I would probably put Spider-Verse at number two because Spider-Verse did the most to really focus on, to bring into focus the... Well, it's kind of a mix. Spider-Verse has some of the coolest things and also some of the most frustrating things. So actually, because of that, I think I'm going to put it at number three. So at the bottom of the list, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, number four, um, Mutants. Number three... Spider-Verse, number two, Red Skull, which is, um, which is, nothing in Red Skull is the best of the best, but Red Skull does almost nothing wrong. Red Skull does everything great. Uh, it's got good difficulty level, it's got verse, good verisimilitude, it's got good, um, heroes. There's nothing bad, there's nothing outstanding about it, but there's nothing, there's not a single misstep in there as far as I'm concerned. But number one, if for no other reason than just because of that one mission, I'd probably go with Thanos. The, uh, the Mad Titan. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Do I think expansions are necessary for continue to play? I don't um, buy many expansions, but this seems like a game that warrants it. Ultimately, yes. Not up first. I mean, here's the deal. This is what I'm saying. Don't get any expansions. Really spend some time. That core game is going to give you, I would say... At the very least, 20 games at anywhere from an hour to two hours a pop before you start feeling like, boy, I'd like to start seeing some more content here. You know? There is so much in there. Now, eventually, if you fall deep in love with this game, as I did, you will ultimately want to get more. And like I said, I'd probably start with um, uh, the... Uh, the the Mad Titan. For the individuals, my favorite individual hero is Miss um, Marvel. My favorite individual villain, this little blister pack one, is the Green Goblin. So those would be my top three I'd get. But like I said, you're gonna get you're gonna get dozens, if not hundreds, of hours of gameplay out of that core box before you feel like you need to go and start expanding. So don't rush it. And finally, my seven-year-old son has been playing um, things like Ticket to Ride and a few similar games. Do you think he could play Marvel Champions with some health? Everything says 14 and up um, with it being a co-op. Could you see a kid uh, playing with help, especially a kid who's uh, into the MCU? It, it, it would be a challenge, but yeah, I think you could. The, the, the thing is, 
uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a big rule. You're not supposed to show your cards to each other. Or No, no, that's not true. You can. I'm thinking of different games. I'm thinking of different games. So if you play open hand and... Okay, I'm going to revisit my earlier thing. There's one expansion to get. Go out and buy Hulk. Hulk is by far the simplest, most straightforward character there is. Um, Hulk does one thing. Hulk smashes, and uh, you know I, I think that's one of the reasons people are so frustrated with Hulk because they. I mean, interestingly, Hulk is not as powerful as some of the other characters, but Hulk does one thing to, well, and he does it very, very well. Uh, he smashes, and um, you know he, he doesn't have anywhere near as much of the complexity. The thing is. As the game has gone on, things have gotten more and more and more and more and more complex. Um, I would say, by far, the most complex heroes are the ones that came... I was about to say in the Mad Titan. Those were some really complex characters. What was it? I can't remember who they were now. Those uh, star-faring characters. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, not, not, you know, oh, that's going to drive me nuts. Not Ms. Marvel. She was, uh, you know, she was Captain Marvel for a while. What's she called? Starlight? Oh, I'm driving, and then um, Adam Warlock. They're very complex characters. Hulk is the simplest character there is because he's, he's made to do one thing smash, get really exhausted, and then leave and go rest for a while. And so all of his cards are pretty straightforward. And since you're, you can play everything face up, I think you could walk him through it, and that would be a pretty good intro to the game without too much complexity. And yeah, if he loves it so much, and you know, I mean, heck, if he's a seven-year-old boy and he loves the MCU, Hulk is probably one of his favorite characters. So you could probably make a go of that, I think. I think. I think. Okay. Uh, and I apologize if I steer you wrong. But hey, if you're only going to get one thing, then get Hulk. It's not going to cost you very much, and you can give it a try with your boy. And I, I hope it works out well for you, and I hope uh, the game leads to you being able to share many, many memories as he grows his way in to the other content that is more complex, and you can be playing it together for years. Okay. Mario says, Cloud Age or Maracaibo? I recently got a copy of Cloud Age uh, since I've been pumped to try it for a while. I notice that you have it as your second best fister, only surpassed by Maracaibo. Questions. Have I had the opportunity to go back and play it since I played it? Do you think it still holds uh, its power on that spot? I have not. I never get a chance. Well, you know, I, I, I make my uh, estimations as best I can after having played the game for two or three times. I, I know we played Cloud Age a bit more than normal because it had the storyline, and um, you know, so I wanted to play it more and you know, and see how that kind of evolved. Not that most people care about, but I enjoy those kinds of things. Plus, Cloud Age is much shorter. Cloud Age is. Uh, it's not quite as you know. It's closer to Isle of Sky than it is to Mombasa on the uh, you know the Alexander Fister complexity scale. Whereas Maracaibo is definitely on the heavier, longer, crunchier end. What I would really need to do is I would want to compare Cloud Age and Blackout Hong Kong. Blackout Hong Kong could push its way into the number two spot, I think, but. I really liked Cloud Age a lot, a lot, a lot, and so did Jen. Uh, you know, it's it's Alexander Fister's adventure game. He normally he does like he does economic Euro simulations, but Cloud Age is a genuine adventure. We're fighting off raiders and saving the last outposts of humanity, and we're trying to bring greenery back to Earth. We're trying to save the planet. I love everything about that. But hey, I also love Blackout Hong Kong story of oh, it's a massive blackout. We're trying to save people in the real world, and we're just normal people too. So that's kind of an adventure also. Um, 
So I would say, uh, you know, Blackout Hong Kong, I need to spend more time with both of them. Because I, not that I think Cloud Age has to drop at all, but I bet if I were to play... I, here's the thing. The more I tend to play a game, the more it tends to rise in my rankings. I know that's kind of the oddball thing. For most people, the more they play a game, the more things tend to fall. The more I tend to find even more things I like, and the more excited I get. So... For now, I'll leave it there, but I'll say Blackout Hong Kong uh, could make a, a strong uh, push for it. Have I had the opportunity to go back and play... Or, 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 I already answered that one. Okay. Uh, if uh, I, and I being Mario, start to play the uh, campaign on my own, is it possible to change to multiplayer midway through? Oh yeah, totally, totally. I mean, you have to understand, the campaign, I don't remember, was it six, eight chapters? All it means is, every time you play the game, you're playing just a standalone version of the game, and it's just, hey, based on what happened in the previous game, some different features were turned on. Oh, did I meet this character? That character now goes into the deck of cards. And that next game could be another solo game, or it could be a multiplayer game. It could totally let you switch back and forth. But to understand, this is not like you know a big epic adventure game like Gloomhaven or... Pandemic Legacy or something like that. This is just, hey, if you want to play through the story, it's whatever it is. Six little chapters where simple things are being added or... I forget, were there any things removed? I think there's just more and more things were added as different cards get uh, swept in. It's a very light story. It's just kind of a fun way to um, say, hey, if I'm going to play the game six times, do I just want it to be six standalone games? Or would I rather it be six games that um, the game involves and changes a little bit based on my choices? Obviously, I'd rather do the latter. What do I think it misses to be better than Maracaibo? Ooh. Well, Maracaibo, ultimately, it can't compete because Maracaibo is a deeper, richer, um, heavier game. Maracaibo is just about the perfect sweet spot for me and Jen. Crunchy enough, but not too crunchy. You know, like uh, Vita Lasarda games tend to be a little bit go past our sweet spot. Um, and uh, Maracaibo is just right there. It's why it's up. Uh, is it, I think Maracaibo's in my like top 30. Plus, let's not forget, you can now play Maracaibo cooperatively as well with the Uprising expansion. So that makes it even better. I mean, you know, uh, Cloud Age can't compete when it comes right down to it. But um, yeah, I mean, I could, ima- I could imagine an expansion for Cloud Age that would bring in just, I mean, just, you know, it needs a bit more crunch, it needs a little bit more going on. Cloud Age is a simpler game. And that's not a pejorative at all. It's just Jen and I, it's it's a, it's not in our sweet spot. So it just it would need to have a crunchier crunch crunch crunch. Finally, talking about Maracaibo, which of the two settings, Cloud Age versus Maracaibo, do you feel sounds more interesting? Oh, well. Honestly, I'm just not that interested in Mad Max, Fury Road, post-apocalypse, grim, dour. Oh, water is the most valuable, precious thing. It's kind of depressing. But I do appreciate, at least, that in Cloud Age, we're not just trying to survive in you know post-apocalypse hellscape. We're trying to repair the Earth. And um, you know we're doing it by floating above the clouds and all that stuff. Um, but honestly, here's the thing. I'm really not that big into pirates either. Uh, uh, pirates are like, yeah, pirates, zombies. Honestly, neither of these games have themes that just really, oh my gosh, I love them. I like Renaissance-era European goods management, um, city building, or not even have to be European. It could be, you know, it could be Asia. It could be the Americas. It could be, um, you know, uh, anywhere. Um, I, I, but I like... I like building things. And really, Cloud Age and Maracaibo, they're both really kind of at their heart adventure games. They're more about swashbuckling and daring do and having adventures and and you know they're more narrative driven. And again, I love all of that. It's just 
I guess I would have rather done it in, you know, the court of Medici, I guess, which just makes me weird. Um, you know, or, you know, in, in the Qin Dynasty or whatever. Um, but of the two... I think ultimately I like the story in Cloud Age more because we are... I mean, the fact that the number one way you can score points in that game is literally, look at the board is a barren, desolate hellscape and one of the best things you can do is put green tiles that represent revitalizing the earth. And I like that story more than, you know, uh, pirates getting involved in political intrigue in the Caribbean. So, yeah. That's that's how they come down to me. Okay. Matilda says, Sorry... For my question, which was silly considering uh, you've not played the games I mentioned. Oh, she must be uh, uh, apologizing for something from last month. I do not remember, Matilda, what it was. No apologies necessary. There's no wrong questions. Uh, I thought you had, even though you quoted them... Oh, that's right. Oh, you asked about, hey, what other games besides um, Wine the Film or Photograph use the... uh Bonanza hand management system that's so brilliant and I just couldn't think of any off the top of my head and I suggested going no it's just totally fine it was perfectly reasonable to you to assume I mean I should know I just my brain doesn't work that way but anyway um, sorry for the confusion even if my question was not about the hand management I remember another game um, that has this specific mechanism besides Bonanza and Photograph it's called Delt in English and there's a link unfortunately it doesn't work for two players then why are you taunting me with it Matilda um, anyway so uh, it's such a boy let's go let's look at Delt let's look at Delt for a second because it still just drives me nuts that there is no mechanism officially don't touch those cards. Yeah, it's just such a cool idea. Why has Board Game... Oh, let's see. That's a picture of it. Why does Board Game Geek not have this as a mechanism or a family that is a single loser, trick-taking, ladder man... Yeah, it's hand management. Hand management is so broad. And most of the time, in most hand management games, you're not managing your hand. Not in the way you do in Bonanza or Delta, apparently. Um, yeah, so there's still really no good way to find it I mean, Delt is probably not going to appear on very many um, geek lists, right? Let's see. Let's look um, at what geek lists Delt is in and if that could somehow lead us. Games that can be played uh, with the heck of deck, whatever that is. Keeper Call, more games playable. Wow. This is really one of the best game mechanisms that has ever existed. And there's, I know there's at least a half a dozen, if not a dozen games that do it. But nobody has taken the time to make a geek list so that we have a nice, easy way to find them all. Yeah, these are all of the geek lists, and Delt would certainly be on that. Oh, wait, no. I'm sorry. There's 164 the geek list that's on. Crap. All right, let's keep looking. All right, I'm, I'm just going to look. I'm going to pause again like we did last time, Matilda, and this is our last chance at finding a definitive list. Yeah, that's just depressing. There's nothing here. 164 geek lists and not a single one championing what makes this game special more than anything else. There were several uh, trick-taking games that it made it onto, but... or uh, ah, it just drives me nuts. But again, like I said last month, uh, Matilda, there is a way to get a very strong definitive answer, and that's just go to the uh, the uh, Board Game Geek... Um, or I forget what it's called. Recommendations thread... Post, and I guarantee you will, within a couple of days, you will have the definitive list of every game that uses this. And then you could make a geek list so that other people could actually find them. Um, or maybe you could lobby Board Game Geek to introduce a new family that uh, specializes in this kind of thing. Anyway, though, moving right along to Ross, who says, With the totally out-of-nowhere release of My Little Everdell, 
How many other games or times can you think of where something like this has happened? Zero press, zero convention, zero board game geek present, and then a secret reveal that shocks everyone. Is My Little Everdale the first time that's happened, or can you think of others? I can think of one other, and it's kind of a heartbreaking one, and that was. Clank in space. Uh, Renegade did the exact same thing. Where I, I, I assume it was at Gen Con. It was at some major convention. They released it, and it had had no advance warning. I got to cover. I, I, I exact same as my little Everdell. I got a copy of it a couple weeks early. Was able to film it so that the day it was announced was the day that it was for sale at Gen Con, and um, nobody knew it was coming. And Clank, of course, was a huge popular game, and this was a very very cool spinoff that was really great in its own right. And uh, yeah, so that's the one other time I can think of it. And oh my god, that went so badly. Because in that case, Renegade had, hadn't had said anything about what the game was, but said, oh, we're going to have a big announcement at Gen Con. It's going to be amazing. It's going to change the world. Um, you know, It's going to be the best thing since sliced bread. You can't wait to see it. And so they really hyped it up. Um, wait till you hear our announcement. And then Gen Con came, and it was Clank in Space, and everybody said, oh, really? Is that it? And, uh, oh, man, that moment was the moment that made me leave Reddit, because I thought it was fantastic. I didn't care about whether it was overhyped or not. I had just played it. I was really in love with it. It was so much fun. It did so many cool new ideas for Clank. And I was on Reddit, and I was just trying, and everybody was just being just... Just poopy pants about it. Just, just uh, you know, dour, bitter, angry people about it. How dare they get our hopes up that a, the second coming is coming? Like, who cares? Judge the game on its own merits. It's great. It's so much fun. And then, oh, Rado, you're such a shill and all that. And like, oh my god. You board game people are the worst, and I basically quit Reddit because I just realized, oh, I am literally surrounded by people who derive joy by complaining about stuff. All they want to do is come here and complain about stuff instead of celebrate a cool, fun new game. Which, why not? Why be miserable when you can be happy? I don't need to have you in my life, and I walked away. Um... And that's my memory of Clank in Space, unfortunately. Uh, it made me realize, hey, you know what? My life is better without Reddit in it. I recently went through the same process. I've quit Twitter. And my life is now 100% better without Twitter as a little shortcut in my taskbar that I check every um, few hours over the course of the day just to get my dopamine fixed so I can get my outrage on and all of that. No good comes from it. So, yeah. Uh, cut the cord, everybody. Uh, get social media out of your lives. You will be happier and healthier for it. And the same for Reddit. Not BoardGameGeek, though, because BoardGameGeek works really, really hard to maintain an overall positive, upbeat place. Um, anyway, though. So, my uh, Clank in Space is the other one. And now, I could think of... The other one I can think of is... Stonemeyer Games does this fairly regularly, where you know they 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 will just all of a sudden announce, "Hey, here's a completely new game. We've never told you anything about it, and here's some videos for it, and it's for sale right now." Although they don't do it at a convention, they do it. It's for sale on our website right now. This is how. Um, I mean, God, what? Uh, Red Rising and Pendulum. I think, I think that's how Wingspan was released. I think that's pretty much how um, they do almost every release they do these days. Not all of them. I think like the Wingspan expansions, those you get pretty much advanced notice and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, Stonemaier Games has done it several times also. But 
But without quite the same fanfare. I mean, it's also the point where people just kind of, oh, that's just the way Stonemaier Games works, and they don't even think twice about it anymore. But like um, the Viticulture expansion that turned Viticulture into a cooperative game, Viticulture World, that was, I mean, I had an early copy of it, and it was a strict embargo. You can't talk about it at all. And then all of a sudden, one day, hey, everybody, here's a new way you can play Viticulture. And, and you know, that was a big surprise. Honestly, I don't know why it isn't done more often. It's really kind of cool and fun. But, I mean, really, you can only do it with big ticket items like this. I mean, you can't just release, hey, we're big, a worldwide announcement of this thing you've never heard of, and why do I care? But, you know, a spin off or, uh, you know, a familification or, you know, a, a, a really game changing expansion, it makes sense to do those. So it happens every once in a while. Okay. Shonks says, Number one, is the board game reviewing scene oversaturated at the moment, or is there still space for someone who could bring something slightly different? If my wife asks, this is completely hypothetical. Shonks, oh, I wish. Oh, Shonks, it's oversaturated. It's, you know, because of the last two years, with, um, I, I think... The you know the COVID lockdowns really just kind of hyper accelerated the growth of board game media, and I used to be able to keep track. I used to check out every new channel that comes on the scene, and I can't do it anymore. There's just too much. You turn around, and there's another new couples channel, or another new hey, we're doing news or uh, you know suggestions or anything like that. I, I still try to check everybody out and see what everybody's doing, and you know try and support. I'm very excited and happy for people, but no. It's way oversaturated. And the thing is, I think the growth of board game media has out, you know, the speed of the growth of board game media has definitely outsped the, the growth of the board game audience. Um, board game media is growing faster than we are converting, um, you know, uh, newbies into board game fanatics. So you could, I mean, if you say slightly different, there's no room for you, Shonks. I'm sorry. You have to come up with something really game changing. Um, I, 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 I mean, obviously, I get the, the underlying question here, and I really don't want to discourage you at all. Here's the thing. Do it. Do it. You have a smartphone. I'm sure you do. That has a good enough camera. It has a good enough microphone. Do not invest anything. Use your smartphone. Maybe buy a tripod for your smartphone. Uh, don't make my mistake of, of filming for your first four years without holding your smartphone in your hand. Uh, that was a bad idea. Get one of those... $10, you know, clip tripod things, you know, with the, with the bendable arm. And that's all you need to start filming something and just see what you can come up with. But don't expect anything. Uh, don't know. I mean, uh, do it because you'll think it will be a fun hobby. And then be happy if you get 50 subscribers in the first six months. Be happy if you do. Um, I think that's the best you can hope for. Uh, I'm so lucky that I got in when I did. Uh, if I if nobody ever heard of me and I were trying to make a start now, I don't think I would make a splash at all. It, it's just there's I mean the the competition is way too high. So a slightly different I don't think it's going to do it. Uh, and that's not to say don't do it anyway. Uh, you'll find an audience. You you will get um you know you 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 will get satisfaction. But you have to think of it as a hobby, not as I mean what so many people think. Oh my gosh, I can start doing this and it can become my career like Rado or Rodney Smith or or Tom Vassell or yeah there's. You, you can count on two hands the number of people who literally, you know, shut up and sit down. There's, it's, it's, everybody's trying. Nobody's going to make it, um, you know, when it boils right down to it. But you do it for fun. But yeah, we're way oversaturated. All right. Oh, well, oh, good. Second question, too. How much, uh, qual how much does quality matter starting out? Your early videos are holding a camera in one hand as you play talk with the other in natural lighting. You've definitely come uh, quite far since then. Thank you. 
Uh, do people have to start at your current level of quality, or how do you feel the community is more forgiving if there is something new, entertaining done with it? I think, I, I think you have to. You, my level of quality I started out with would be totally unacceptable now, but you do not have to go out and buy a thousand dollar, or even a five hundred dollar, or even a two hundred dollar camera. Your smartphone is good enough. If you've got nice, br- I was, I had the benefit of filming in Malta, where we had what three hundred and twenty days of nonstop, incredibly bright, beautiful sun to light everything. Um, you've got to have good lighting. And so, to be fair, that if you do not, if you are in a colder climb, if you are in a dark room, you might have to pay 50 bucks to buy some box lights. What I, I mean, Alexa, lights off. If I turn off my lights in here, Alexa, lights off. All right, if I turn my lights off, this room has no natural light in it at all. Alexa, lights on. Um... Alexa, there we go. Uh, but that's okay because I've got these box lights. But you can buy these for fifty bucks, uh, a, l- a little lighting kit. You might need that. Um, although I bet you, you can probably buy these for thirty bucks now. I think I bought them for fifty bucks five years ago. Um, so get a decent box if you don't have good natural light. Use your smartphone because your smartphone's camera, built-in camera with good light, is more than good enough. I'm assuming you have a smartphone, uh, or, or mod, or, or a smartphone that has come out within the last seven years or so. Finally, what's interesting, more important than um, video, is audio. Your built-in microphone for your camera is going to be good enough, just like mine was, because for years I held my camera inches away from my face as I filmed. And so I was talking directly into my camera, looking at my screen as I was filming. I, it was just total random luck that that's how I happened to start. But that meant, if you go back and listen to my early videos, they look like garbage, but they sound okay. Because I had um, a, a good quality microphone inches from my face. Now, if you're not going to do that, like I said, if you're going to give yourself a, uh, you know... Uh, you know, some kind of tripod so that the camera isn't all shaky and then maybe you're not going to have your mouth close to the camera, then the only other thing I could suggest buying equipment-wise would be one of those wireless mic sets you can get that plug directly into whatever you have, an iPhone or an Android, that um, basically lets you walk around and just like clip a little Pell mic on. Um, get one of those. Again, you can get those for like 20 or 30 bucks on Amazon or wherever you want to go. Get one of those to ensure you have good quality audio. Your camera phone will be decent video. You might have to get some lighting. That You should not invest anything more than that. And that shouldn't combined cost you more than 60 or 70 bucks. Do not spend more than that. Unless, of course, you don't have a smartphone. In which case, get a smartphone with a decent camera. Alrighty. Um... Three, how much narrative is too much? Okay, so we're done with that. We're we're talking about stuff. How much narrative is too much? I assume you mean in games, not in video making. For instance, Sleeping Gods versus Gloomhaven. Okay, yeah, that's uh, in games. Uh, My father's work seems to push the boundary. Uh, Can too much story pull you out of a game, even if it's well done? Now, I've not played... Uh, my father's work, but I, I I watched Amy and Maggie's excellent run through of it, and I uh, I actually downloaded the app and started reading some of the uh, dialogue myself. And yeah, my father's work goes too far. I'm not the best person to ask though, because honestly, this gets back to the question we were talking. Was it Mario who was asking earlier about the narrative campaign in Alexander Fister games like Cloud Age and Maracaibo? To me, that's all I need. I just need the slimmest, thinnest veneer 
of story to pull me from one chapter to the next to the next. Because ultimately, to me, the more interesting story is the story that evolves on the table based on the choices I make, based on the choices Jen makes. And like, oh my god, I can't believe you took that! Or, whoa, how did you do that? Or look at what I did. To me, those personal stories that evolve from the gameplay are where are what's really special. And uh, no amount of fantastic Nebula award-winning writing can compete with that. Now that said, I certainly enjoy that too. Um, you know, I would certainly say it's interesting. Uh, Gloomhaven is on the lower end of it. I mean, because they didn't really do anything with branching narratives. They did in the expansion, and I guess they do in Frosthaven as well now. But I mean, you can definitely have too much. And I, and, I mean, but I mean, I'm, not necessarily. I'm sure there are plenty of people who think my father's work is finally somebody gets it. I want to read a novel while playing a game. I think most players don't want that. I also think most players don't see the value, sadly, so sadly, in the super threadbare Alexander Pfister storytelling that you get in something like Maracaibo, even though to me, mwah, that's Chef's Kiss. So, you know what? Probably. <sighs> I mean, honestly, I think Pandemic Legacy Season 1 probably hit the nail on the head more perfectly than any other game. Or I would actually go so far as to say Season 0, where they pushed Pandemic Legacy storytelling a little bit further. Pandemic Legacy Season 0, I would say, is probably the best sweet spot for the majority of gamers in terms of how much narrative do you want to bring into your gameplay experience. That would be my guess. Uh, but pff, I've not taken any uh, you know definitive polls on that. And finally... Uh, how do you feel about the future of solo-only gaming? Flash in the pan? Or are they on the rise in a similar way that co-op did the last few years? Yes, they are very much on the rise, and I don't draw the parallel to co-op. I draw the parallel to the way two-player gaming uh, rose, has risen over the last 10 years. Because you know, I got into board gaming 11 years ago, and at that time... Two-player uh, playable games were still an afterthought. Um, you know, yeah, there were a few games that came out where we're like, oh, if you want to play two-player games, you only want you want to play this. It's two-player only. You don't want to get a Grickle and play two-player. What is that about? That's ridiculous. Why would you play Pandemic two-player? But over time, publishers have come to realize just how incredibly important it is to have a strong um, foundational two-player mode in their games. By far. For years now, the most commonly asked question, if there was one single question, that when a new game gets posted about on Board Game Geek and the forums open up and people start reading about the game and maybe getting to read the rules or somebody uh, you know played it at a prototype at a convention or whatever it is, almost always, without exception, one of the first, if not the first question asked is, right, so how is it two-player? And that, to me, that just underscores how insanely important it is for couples gamers, for friends, for roommates, for families. People want two-player gaming. And 11, 12 years ago, that was unthinkable. The number one game was Catan, which didn't even support two players. And they no, didn't feel it was necessary to support it. Um, that's where Solo is now. Because nowadays... Um, if the game says when it gets on Board Game Geek, hey, it supports a solo mode, the second most common question is, how's the solo mode? Solo mode is exploding in popularity in the same way two-player, and I'm so happy about it. To me, that's incredibly exciting, and it's always just so insulting when you see some people come along and say, Why? what is wrong with you? Why would you want to play a board game by yourself? That defeats the whole purpose. And to me, that's like, 
why would anybody do crossword puzzles solo? Why would anybody play Sudoku solo? Why would anybody play a video game solo? Because, you know, you don't have to have somebody else there to enjoy the experience, to, you know, relish the challenge of solving the puzzle or whatever, or, you know, um, you know, rescuing the, the, the kingdom or whatever it might be. So, yeah, solo is totally on the rise, and I think that is awesome and great and exciting. So, uh, yeah, uh, and you're right, but you're right to draw the parallel to co-op, too, because, yeah, 10, 12 years ago, co-op... Yeah, I know Reiner Kanichia did that Lord of the Rings co-op game a few years ago. Nobody cares about that. And yeah, I guess there's Arkham Horror, if you like that kind of thing. But really, Pandemic came along and said, Oh, greatest selling game of all time, potential? Yeah, maybe we should pay more attention to co-op, and now it's still a big deal. But not as important as two-player gaming is. And it's interesting. Can I imagine a future where a strong solo mode is more important than a strong co-op mode? I think so. I think so. Alrighty. Anyway, though, folks, that's it for uh, game questions for me. But hang on, we'll be right back with Jen and some more game questions. And then after that, Jen will stick around for the personal questions. So we'll be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, folks, we're back. It is the next day. I was not able to convince Jen to continue um, in a timely fashion, but that's okay. We've got some more game questions, starting with Joseph, who asks, Do you prefer playing one long game or a collection of smaller games in the same time frame? Ooh. Um, depends on the game, I think. In general, in general, would you rather play a big hour and a half or two hour game or to completion, or would you rather play two or three smaller games? Hmm. <clears throat> I think probably a longer game because I think I am a longer game player. I mean, I like I like doing the longer planning thing. So okay. I think I probably get more enjoyment out of seeing my my efforts come to fruition. Okay. Dope. All right, there you go. You must have already answered it. Uh, nope, didn't ask me. Asked you. Oh! Uh, Mario says, I wanted to go to Essen Spiel this year, but things didn't work out. Next year will be. Having this, I wanted to listen to your comments on a few topics. Where to stay and how to better move during these days. Ooh. It's hard for us to say because we just stayed with a friend. Uh, in the nearby town of Dusseldorf. Yes. And who was also going to the uh, thing. So we all got in the car and drove there and then drove home and played the games that we picked up that day. So, I don't know, have we ever? The yes. first time we went, we were in our bongo and we stayed... Um, in the nearby parking lot. In a, <laughs> Was it in the parking No, it was in a campground, wasn't it? No, I believe it was in the parking lot. I'm pretty sure it was in a campground. I remember because it was it was a ways away and it was kind of under a bridge. Well, that was just to get back to the parking lot. All right. Okay. Yeah, I think we we stayed. Uh, we had to get a special spot in the parking lot because we had a van, and so mm -hmm. we had an extra height vehicle. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, we stayed in the parking lot. Okay. 
Yeah, so we've Very never... Very sexy. Yeah, we've never <laughs> stayed in any of the nearby hotels and unfortunately cannot give any advice there. Uh, yeah, the closest thing is we went to a party, I think, that Ericles put on in a hotel nearby. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was just a party. That was It was a very nice party. Yep. So, I mean, I think I've used the trains there once because one year I flew in to some faraway city and then had to take the train. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, Mario cannot help at all, but I'm sure there are plenty of people on board game geek who could give advice. And remember the first year we went, um, that we stayed with David and Jen and they lived in a castle and had their great Dane yep. and their little fuzzy dog. Yep. Wizzy yeah, but, wig, and they lived in Belgium or someplace yeah. very far away. And so we, we, again, so it was a very long drive every day. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Do you think working or volunteering on a booth is a nice idea? How to look for it? I have never done that, but Jen has kind of done it adjacently because in many of the years we went there, Jen would uh, avail herself of the kindness of strangers who would let her set up a table in their booths. And so you were surrounded all day long by lots of volunteers. So I thought you might have observations about that from your dealings with those volunteers. You know, at I, NSKN and uh, Ludi Creations and various and sundry places. Yes. Um, I always felt extremely blessed and very fortunate um, because they were very kind to give me a little bit of space in their booth. Mm-hmm. And um, all the volunteers were there um, having fun. And I thought, yeah, there was never any tension or any um, weirdness. So apparently I think it is a nice idea. The volunteers did seem to be having a good time. They appreciated the uh, some of the perks of it, which was that there was a like a tend to be a little break room that they could go sit in that had nice um, treats and food and stuff. And of course, they got to um, I believe get a game from the publisher. Mm-hmm. Some of them were paid with with um, the publisher's game, so I think it was um, beneficial to everybody. Okay. Um, tips for a first time convention goer. Oh, wear good shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Would be good. Essen's hard because they don't have a bunch of tables or they didn't when we were going anyway. Yeah. Set up for people to just sit down and play a game. You could find sometimes a little bit of space on the carpet to camp out and have play a game. Um, so I think, you know, if you had <laughs> a little couple of like camping stools and a little camping table that might be a good idea oh you mean those ones that basically just fold down into Sticks. yeah that's not a bad idea yeah at all but of course that would limit the size of game you could play on a little camping table mm-hmm. but you know if you if you can't sit on the floor and do it that would be maybe an idea yeah i would just say don't expect to play any games during the day there you're you, the reason you go to essence field is to be a consumer to buy 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 um, and your biggest concerns are going to be how can you truck those games around? Where can you drop them off? Some people, that's another perk of, uh, for many people mm-hmm. volunteering mm-hmm. is, you know, most of the booths that are a decent size have a certain amount of their floor space set up for, Hey, this is where we keep our stock and people can sit down. We've got a chair in there. There's some snacks or whatever. And, um, you can store your games that you've bought here. So you don't have to, you know, once you've got around. seven games and you can't lit physically carry them anymore, right, now I've got to make the two-mile trek to my car <laughs> and put them in there and then come back. So that's another huge advantage of being a volunteer, I think. I mean, that that was always the case yes. in the 
booths where you were staying that by the end of the show there were more games for other publishers than there were for the <laughs> publisher uh, because it was just all their volunteers were like stacking all their stuff up there. So yeah, that's important. Yeah. Um, I mean, some people carry like they have the pulley wagons. Yeah, and that's generally frowned upon. Although I always did it, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you're gonna do that, do be careful because you know I, a lot of people find that very obnoxious. Because I mean, sometimes it gets really crowded, and you are effectively taking up two person spaces in or a crowd. Even three people's yeah. space. But if you gotta do it, you gotta do it. I mean, you didn't have a pulley. You just had a. You had actually a um, hand trolley type thing. It was a it's luggage. A th- thing. It's a thing I pulled. True, it but it wasn't an actual space. like wagon. Because uh, mm. some people have wagons, yeah. but you just got a game bag this year that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's very cool. But uh, and, and there have been times when I, you know, for, I eventually switched to just using, uh, like you said, a little. What do you call it? Hand truck, kind of a, a, a hand truck. Well, is that what it's called? It's like an L-shaped thing, and um, yeah, you, you just stack boxes on it. It's not doesn't have four yeah, wheels; what, it had what, two what, wheels. What it was actually called? used for luggage. Yeah. Um, what What is that called? Uh, uh, luggage cart. Well, it's not a cart though. Um, luggage two wheel. Uh, just gonna get it right. It's a folding. Luggage cart. A luggage cart. All right. They're apparently called luggage carts. So I had a luggage cart, but I wasn't putting luggage on it. Uh, hold on for people who can see this. Uh, I didn't have, I wasn't putting luggage on it. I was putting gigantic cardboard boxes because you could more efficiently fill them um, because there wasn't any rounded edges or wheels inside or anything like that. And I was dragging those around. As fast as I could. Uh, sometimes I would have two full boxes uh, that if I went too fast around a corner, the whole thing would go flying. And I was always running around trying to pick up everything I could. Essen was always very stressful um, trying to get all the games I was trying to get for a year. But uh, yeah, I mean, doing one of those uh, is not at all uncommon. You see a lot of people, at least, I don't know, we haven't been for several years, but you used to see a lot of people doing that. Um, since Mario, I have come over to the browser. Let me suggest a better source of answers to these questions than us, because we went under very certain circumstances is go to board game geek, click, where is it? Forums, all forums, then scroll down to, it's on here somewhere. Uh, I don't know why Essen doesn't get its own under events. There is other forums and about a month or maybe even two months before Essen Spiel, come here and you will find people talking at great length, giving all kinds of advice about all the questions you're asking. You will find publishers posting here saying, we're looking for volunteers. Can we get any volunteers? Here's what we offer. This is where you want to be about two months before Essen Spiel. Oh, actually, look at that. There is a subfolder now. Didn't used to be. Uh, there's a subfolder for Spiel. Here's a bunch of uh, SN, for, you know, public hotel, public transport. Here's a whole thread with hundreds of people offering advice. And um, yeah, I guarantee you, you will find publishers here looking for volunteers. You will find other showgoers giving their best advice, etc., etc., in the um, Spiel subforum of the Conventions Event Forum on BoardGameGeek. This is the answer to all your questions. <laughs> but we will continue to try to and fail to answer your questions as best we can. 
Um, but apparently, Jen just had to stop because her phone beeped well, or something. I'm paying attention. I'm right what here. was it? Was, was it anything important? No, nothing okay. important. All righty. Um, let's see. How was our first experience? Well, you won't find out about that in the forum. So, <laughs> which was our first? Was our, our first was when we were still in the bongo, right? Oh, I'm pretty I'm sure it was. it was even before you started doing Rado. Yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah. Went over. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were just board game fans. Uh, Rado wasn't going to start for another probably two or three years. And uh, yeah, we had a good time. Yeah, we wandered um, all of the halls. I don't even think we made it through all the halls. Mm-hmm. But I can remember sitting down and playing games with publishers. Yep. Um, being in the artsy area, there's loads of fantasy art and posters and interesting things like that as well. Yeah. Uh, and being just exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> At the yeah, end, yeah. there was a lot. Yep. And then just, uh, and I had to make several trips out to the van, <laughs> wherever it was. See, I, I think we were we were parking there, but we at the end of the night we drove someplace else that was fairly far away. You had found a an actual campground mm. that was far away. I mean, you're right. I remember, yeah, there was a special place we had to park during the day in that parking structure that was a fair distance away. But then it not, we did not sleep there. We slept at a campground. Oh, all right. That was yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, we had a great experience. Um, I I think we. Did we go back again a second time? I think as that, just <clears throat> no. I think the second time you went back alone, and that might be that one yes, that you're talking about. Yes, that is what I was thinking. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and then the third one was when we started Rado stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Mario continues. I'm feeling very strongly about working part time during the fair. Since I'm planning to go alone, I think it would be great to have more natural connections uh, through a booth with people, other than trying to squeeze myself into a table for random people. Oh yeah, oh, I, I, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I have never heard anybody say anything but positive uh, remembrances of volunteering at booths. You know, obviously try to do it for a company whose games you like, obviously, so you can be a little bit more uh, passionate about it. But yeah, I think it's a it's a genuinely good social experience, and it does have a lot of perks doing it. Yeah, I and mean, it, our friend Leba has done it at every convention we've ever been at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she must continue to do it because she finds it rewarding yeah yeah i mean she's an engineer she can afford she doesn't need to do that i think she does it for fun yeah um you know not to try to save money or anything like that so yeah i I think it's a great idea and again your best bet is not going to be me it's going to be that forum um you're going to be able to get all the answers to all your questions uh again you just hit there a couple of months before the convention and start you know subscribe to that form so anytime a publisher posts saying we're looking you'll get a notice for that on board game geek you can jump on and be the first to grab it if it's one you really like okay shonks says i've only recently shifted um from light curiosity to more rabid consumption of heavier (laughs) board games my wife Plays games occasionally, like Patchwork, Dixit, Marvel Champions. That's kind of heavy. Wow. But I'm afraid if I pull too far too fast, like ask her to do a Gloomhaven, I may put her off. I'd love any advice from our experience. Wow. Marvel Champions is pretty heavy. Uh, I mean, it's so heavy that Jen pretty much refuses to play it with me now. Um, although, I guess if you're only playing the stuff that comes in the original box, the first five heroes are are much more reasonable. It's just, as time goes on, it gets more and 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 more complex. Which is what I don't like about it. Yeah, yeah. I can't just drop It's just gotten insane. Which is kind of... 
par for the course for these mm. sorts of games. I wonder if maybe she might like actually something like Gloomhaven that is something that's a continuing story so that you guys would have this experience of this journey together. Sure. Oh, oh, what's my cloud, the cloudy one? Cloudage? Yeah. No, you know, the one with the great music and there's clouds, the game. Games don't have music. No. Yes, it does. Okay. We played it twice. Once with David and Angela in Malta was the second one. And it has... You have, you can, Charterstone. Thank you. Charterstone. Right. Would be an even better intro because it and is And when she so, says play it twice, she means we played through the entire campaign twice with two different copies of the game. Yeah. It's, it's such a great story and such good decisions. Uh, really interesting. I think that would be a great Well, it's a good into... idea, too, because it starts out incredibly simple. It starts out really no maybe even lighter than Lords of Waterdeep. Because it's a worker placement game. You play through 12 sessions as the worker placement board just evolves and gets bigger and more complex. And if you were to sit anybody down at at the end of the game, they'd be overwhelmed with choices. But you're responsible for all those choices. You put, that's an interesting idea. I think that would be a great gateway into a, quote, heavier game. Because, again, it's an experience that you're sharing with each other. It's your own personal journey because you make choices along the way. And if she can handle Patchwork and Dixit and Marvel Champions, she could totally handle that. That's not a bad idea. And that is a great game. Um, I really enjoy it. Another one along the same lines uh, might be My City. But, again, I mean... Yeah, I mean, but My City starts simple and it stays simple. I was just, it's the same idea of a really nice uh, campaign you can play through as the game changes and evolves. But it doesn't get progressively, significantly more complex, whereas Charterstone definitely does. That's an interesting idea. Um, you know, and uh, are there other games that do that? Feels like it is the case that there are more and more games where, okay, and if I were supposed to play with all this stuff turned off for our first couple games, but we're just going to jump right into the main game. It seems like that's becoming more common, and I can't speak to them because we always kind of ignore that introductory game because yeah. it feels like they turn too much stuff off, but maybe that's something that's worth looking at. Hmm. Well, Gloomhaven is a bit of a deep dive, and yeah. I think you should try Charterstone first, <clears throat> and if she likes it, then go into Gloomhaven. Well, I mean, along the same lines. Uh, I mean, I... I not that Gloomhaven is even one uh, that Shanks even cares about. He's just using that as a, as a really extreme example. Well, no. But there is, you I know, yeah. But you said, to do, yeah, yeah, do a Gloomhaven it, to me feels kind of like vague. Oh. You know, I'm, I'm I'm doing a Gloomhaven. I'm <laughs> doing a Twilight. You know, I'm doing a big crazy uh, thing. But it's interesting. The same thing that Jen just said about Charterstone, a game that starts out really simple and you know grows and evolves, is exactly what Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion does. And Jaws of the Lion uh, is a fantastic way to introduce people specifically to Gloomhaven because it starts out so simple. It starts out not much more complex than Patchwork, significantly less complex than Marvel Champions. And over the first five missions, uh, if I recall correctly, so basically over the first four to six hours of gameplay, more and more and more and more stuff gets introduced in a really brilliant, maybe the single best drip feed gameplay um, tutorial system that the industry has ever seen, quite frankly. So I wouldn't rule out Gloomhaven. I, Jaws of the Lion is made for this. And so that's definitely one to consider, Shonks. All right. Okay, and I think that was it for games. Yep, we're now on to personal questions. 
So folks, this is where you get off if you only want to hear about games. But if you want to uh, dive deep into our personal lives and what makes us tick as people, uh, then hold on, we'll be right back. But if you're leaving... Thanks, as always, for uh, checking out the show. Hope to see you next month. And um, please send more questions to questions at rotto.com. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And now, if you're brave, hang on. We'll be right back. Okay, folks, uh, let's get to those personal questions. First of all, a couple of games that Jen has nothing to say about. Both Alan and Jack ask, did you give Star Wars Andor another chance? It's the same writer as Rogue One, and it's worth the build-up. It's got the best writing and acting of any Star Wars TV show. Very emotional. <clears throat> that was from Alan. And then Jack continued, a little while ago, I think on a previous Rado talk show, you seemed ambivalent, even bored with Andor. I just heard on your games coming soon, you've completely flipped, and we're jumping out of your seat to watch the final episode. When did the change happen? I assume you finished it by now. Um, and then, he had a few more questions. How do you feel about the seasons as a whole, and what were your favorite moments? Spoilers welcome. I assume you'll stick that at the end. I will stick that at the end. We'll do some spoiler stuff for Andor at the end. But otherwise, to um, hit Alan and Jack, yes, I did go back. Um, I always said I would, because people just kept saying it's so amazing. And it wasn't just people in the podcast comments. It was people on the live stream Q&As were constantly... Um, uh, bombarding me with, you gotta try it, you gotta try it. And I was seeing, um, you know, constant, um, video essays about it on YouTube. It just seems like everywhere. Okay, 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 I'll give it a go. And I finally buckled down and, um, made it through the remainder of the first episode. And honestly, it was just the first 15 or 20 minutes of the first episode that turned me off. Because by the end of the first episode, like the the dog peeing on the robot in in the street at the beginning, it's like, oh my God, this is so trite. And this is so predictable. And, and like, ugh, this just feels like all the other Star Wars things just with the grind turned up to 11. And I mean, it, it started off weak, but by the end of the first episode, it got very, very good. And it just continued to get better and better and better. What I have consistently liked most in all of the Star Wars TV shows is uh, less the focus on the heroes and more the focus on people, um, you know, working within the machinery of the Empire. Uh, you know, they, all the shows have had a little bit of that, and those have always been by far the most interesting parts. All the stuff with Bill Burr in Mandalorian was amazing, and I would have much rather had the entire show follow Bill Burr than the Mandalorian. Um, and, uh, yeah, this, and of course this show, literally 50% of this show is talking about how souls get crushed in a fascist machine. And I thought it was absolutely amazing and engrossing and obviously uh, very germane to the world we live in today and was fantastic. But unlike all the other shows, all the stuff with Andor himself was much more engaging. He was... Uh, I mean, he was still my least favorite part of the show, but unlike um, Boba Fett, uh, he was not like, and I don't even care for it at all. I was I was engaged from start to finish. So there's no one thing that flipped the switch. It was just a constant deluge. And I had every intention of going back. I mean, just after the first couple of people had said, well, you really have to give it a try. Okay, I'll give it a try. And it was just a matter that I'd kind of caught up on all the other stuff that I was trying to watch. And so, like, okay, I'll give it a try again. And I'll make it through this first episode. And by the first, in the first episode. I, I was I was hooked. Um, was there any one thing? It was, I, I think there, I just reached a critical mass of so many, um, um, you know, pop culture critics saying, yeah, this is literally the best show of the year. 
Uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's a Star Wars show or not. I'm not saying it's the best show of the year, but it's probably... I mean, it's certainly in the top 10 best sci-fi shows I've ever seen in my life. It is potentially the best. Probably still... I'd still give it to The Last Jedi as the best thing that's ever been produced under the Star Wars banner. But it is either the best or the second best, depending on how... Um, man, Last Jedi is tough to beat, but it's really, really good. And yeah, I highly recommend it to everybody except for Jen because it is very grim and Jen doesn't want to see that kind of stuff. Plus, she doesn't care about Star Wars at all. She's really kind of anti-Star Wars anymore. Um, let's see. But for the rest, we will circle back at the end, folks, after we do the rest of the personal questions and we look at pictures of dog and Jen gives her um, words of wisdom. I'll talk about what was it? My, uh, uh, what did I think of the season? Uh, what were my favorite moments? All right, I'll get to that at the end. But anyway, Honey Pie, you can put your phone down because uh, it's that time of year. Bring on the retrospection. Oh, dear. Questions for Otto and Jen from Jack. Ooh. Top five movies, top five TV shows, and for Jen, also top five books. Oh. Uh, I know it's been a particularly hard year for both of you on a personal level. I hope you found comfort in each other and the support you receive from others. Oh. Have a Merry Christmas. Thank you, Jack. Uh, as the best jack attack. Okay, so that is tough to do. Honey, if you want, I can go on ahead and pause so you can gather your thoughts and think about stuff. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll right off the bat, can you just think, yes. you know, I, I, I mean, because those are arguably the best. If there's one that just jumps right out at you yeah. on a gut instinctual level, then that's got to be one of them. So, right. Well, we've watched two movies recently that were absolutely fantastic. All righty. So um, we enjoyed, what was the Jack, um, I don't want to say Jack Ryan, it's not Jack Ryan, it's... Um, Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell thing yeah. we just watched. Spirited. Spirited. Splendid. I can never remember the name of it. Anyway, yeah. Splendid was great. And the Jack Project, or what was that? The uh, right. You really liked uh, the Adam Project. Adam Project. You loved right. both of those movies. Are you now the biggest uh, Ryan Reynolds fan in the universe? I might be. Mm -hmm. Plus, he's he's not too bad. Yeah, he's that. very dreamy. I mean, you actually ultimately went on ahead and watched both Deadpools as well, which yeah. shocked me that you made it all the way through them. And I think more than anything else, it was a testament to Ryan Reynolds' charisma <laughs> that you actually watched both Deadpools from start to finish yeah. and enjoyed them even. Indeed, indeed. Right. Um, gosh. Oh, what did you think of Free Guy, though? Because after we watched The Adam Project, uh, so, well, you know, hey, directed by and starring the same person, here's the, the Free Guy. That, okay. was, that was the one where he was a non-player character in a video game. And who, you know, slowly became sentient. Yes. Oh, that was super sweet. I liked that one as well. You liked well. it too. Okay, well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. So, ride or die for Ryan Reynolds. That's Jen. Yeah. Um, but. I'm trying to think that we did see a couple of movies actually in the theater. One was um, the latest Disney flick recently. Uh, yes. Which was totally fine, but mm -hmm. not worth going to see in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we saw that other one up in, up near Tacoma. Where, what was that one? <sighs> it was, uh, it was a Marvel film. The only films we've seen in theater were that one Disney thing because we were at a museum and we were stuck there all day and we were, okay, we're done with the museum. Oh, they have an IMAX theater. I guess we'll go watch this. Uh, it was Black Panther. Of course. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Yes. That was actually a very good Movie. Are you I putting it that. in the top five films of the year, potentially? Um, now, like I said, I mean, uh, okay, I, wanna... I, I know you're only going to be able to make it so far, but okay, I mean, no, no, I, no, I can me... pull up lists so you can like, oh, that one and that one and that one oh, too. Okay, well, first of all, I want to say on the top five TV shows, all that right. one that we just watched with Thor. Oh, uh, Limitless. Limitless. On Definitely. Disney Plus. That was awesome. 
You really liked that oh a lot. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Very inspirational. Yes, All plus right. looking at Thor. Yeah, and plus you got to look at Chris Hemsworth with his shirt off a lot. Yeah, nobody a minds lot, that. Lot. Yeah. Well, did you mind that? No, I didn't mind that. Okay. That was fine. Um, he's, a, he's a beautiful man. He certainly is. Mm-hmm. Um, and other TV shows that I liked. We've been watching a lot of nature ones. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that one with the heroes that was so awful except for the last... I'd have to uh, see. Uh, I don't remember the name of it. It was uh, Michael B. Jordan was the narrator. Uh, nature show. I think that was also on Disney Plus. Uh, let's see. Uh, all right, that one was called America the Beautiful. Okay. Um, great photography and everything, but ridiculous text and. Yeah, the yeah the, the the conceit. I mean, Michael B. Jordan did his best, but it was not the the most. I mean, it, it was not up right there with the BBC Nature Show. But you really liked the last episode, which was entirely devoted to what people are doing, um, conservation efforts that are going on right now. Yeah, you know? in their neighborhoods that are making a difference, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what we need to be seeing now. Is how can uh, just one person make a difference? All right, so you're going to say specifically final episode of. Uh, America, the beautiful, beautiful, also on Disney Plus. Yep. So you're gonna call that as one of the top five. I mean, yeah, you were really buzzing after that episode. I so. was, and there was something right after that too that we watched that was very similar. Do you remember what <clears throat> that show was? I no. remember I we did it like that was that no. one, and the next day we watched another one. I was like, oh my gosh, all of this wonderfulness is going on out there. I don't know. Um. You have to find that because I'm. Yes, I know. We, 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 that's what I'm saying. I, I will pause. I will bring up a list of TV shows and movies so uh-huh. we can. But I mean, this is cool. I just these are off the top of your head. Of yeah. course, they're off the top of your head because they're all things you've watched within the last two months. So you don't remember anything you watched eight months ago or nine months ago. So you will need. I mean, me too. I, I, te- I tend not to. I'll have to do a little bit of research okay. on this, but I am ready to pause when you are. Okay, that's all right. Folks, will be right back. All right, Jack. That's a nightmare, as it turns out. <laughs> Oh my God, why is this so freaking hard? So here's the deal. Jen thought, oh, it'll be easy for me to tell you my favorite books. He read a bunch. They're all listed right there on Kindle, but Kindle doesn't make it in any way, shape, or form easy for her to just like at a glance. I don't remember what that book was. What's the summary of it? And she tried for five minutes. I refuse. I just can't. I can't. I can't. This is too much. So Well, after we'd just gone through all the TV shows yeah. and the movies. So like, and then my brain's I, tired. How hard is it to get to? I mean, all I could find for lists of movies in 2022 is top 10, um, uh, uh, you know, reviewer picks, reviewer picks, reviewer picks over and over and over again. All I wanted, and I could not find anywhere, just give me a list of every freaking movie that um, came out in 2022 sorted by Rotten Tomato audience score. Impossible to freaking get. So, um, and the reality is, we're both to the point where the the vast majority of movies we watch, and we watch very few, we end up thinking, we would have been better off watching a TV show. Um, and so, sorry Jack, I can't give you a top 10 movies. Um, and nor can Jen, nor can she give you books. But... Man, TV is fantastic. <laughs> TV so destroys movies anyway. And if Kindle had a better interface, Jen maybe could have given you um, some books, but no, she I'll just work can't on do it. For it. next year, yeah. ask me again next year. Yeah, there you go. Okay, but anyway, so Jen was able to get down to five. Limitless, we already talked about. Uh, Lazarus Project, I agree with, and that's a, such a shame. I went and looked. I don't think you can stream anymore. We watched it when it was on Sky Plus because we're still British citizens, and NordVPN let me trick the world into thinking we were in England again. 
best science fiction TV show maybe ever. Yeah, Certainly best time travel story ever done in human history. So incredibly amazing. Yep. Um, and just a tiny little show that is almost impossible to find now. I thought for a while it was going to get picked up by Amazon Prime, but I couldn't find it. So very sorry about that. And, I, and honestly, I don't want to say anything other than just how amazing it is because I wouldn't want to spoil a single second nope, of it. Nope, nope, It's great. It's an, an absolutely insane. I'm so glad we stumbled across that. Jen really loved the First Lady, which was, you know, the I think it was six or eight episodes, um, you know, paralleling the lives of Eleanor Roosevelt, um, Betty Ford and Michelle Obama and you know their time before in and after office actually yep. it wasn't much about after office yeah. just before and in office uh, Jen <laughs> she I really really Darby and Joan oh it was just fun <clears throat> Darby and Joan is a um, it's Australian isn't it yeah. or is it New Zealand I think it's Australian it's an Australian murder mystery show who done it thing no but not murders it's just most of the time, I think there was one murder they investigated, but for the most part, they yeah. were just simple, really inconsequential crimes. Well, there is the overarching yes, yes, yes. Death that is- There's, uh, it's a show about a couple of retirees who bicker, um, and because of a weird quirk of circumstance, yep. an ex-cop and an ex, she was a teacher, wasn't she? No, an ex-nurse, an ex-cop and an ex-teacher, just nurse. drive around in an R, yeah, a nurse, drive around in an RV solving minor crimes. Yep. Um, because wherever they show up, oh, there's a crime that needs to be solved for no reason. <laughs> well, there was some overarching yes. story that did tie it all. Together. It was a very silly show. They had, it was just nice, and I like. It was the very RV charming stuff. and pleasant, and yeah, of course we're into RVs now, and um, made us really look long and hard at Jayco RVs and Greta Scotchy and Brian Brown, you know, former, um, you know. Successful uh, movie stars to, switching to this weird little Australian TV show that Jen absolutely adored. Well, I wouldn't say absolutely adored, but I enjoyed it very well, you much. You put it in your top five, and, and you left a lot of other stuff off to that's put it here. True, that's so, true. So, yeah, you absolutely adored it. it. Yes. There's just nothing wrong with a bit of harmless yeah. entertainment. Yeah, escape is silly fun. Yeah. Uh, which, again, uh, I forget. Was it on Acorn, I think? So, and Acorn isn't hard to watch, again, if you use a, uh, a VPN to uh, trick in and think you're in Australia. And then Rings of Power. Uh, oh, Jen said, oh yeah, th- that's got to be on there. Yes, All right. of course. And so of those, I would put Lazarus and maybe Rings of Power in my top five. I don't think Rings of Power made top five. Top ten, sure, but not top five. And Limitless was great. Uh, and the First Lady was fantastic. And Darby and Joan is... <laughs> charming um but anyway i, I can't do it t- i i i knocked myself down to 10 and i'm already cheating because uh lazarus <laughs> if i had to would be on my so i'm really looking at like 12 but and i'm also cheating because i'm just putting all the marvel shows under one umbrella miss marvel uh i mean she I, I, everything that marvel did um you know the the holiday special uh they were all great i loved them all um but anyway uh, House of Dragon is amazing. Andor is amazing. Peacemaker is amazing. Severance is insanely amazing. Uh, but then also, I don't know if I should put the old, the old, the first episode of The Old Man was so good, but The Old Man was so good all the way from start to finish. Jeff Bridges in peak Bridges form. Uh, the patient was just riveting. Uh, the after party just made me smile. I literally have, yeah, sure, whatever, stuck in my head right now, and it'll be stuck in my head for days just because you made me think about the after party, uh, Jack. Uh, somebody somewhere um, was incredibly warm and touching. Highly recommend it. I think that was an HBO show, if I recall correctly. And Kunk on Earth. I just love Philomena Kunk anytime she does something new and Kunk on Earth was maybe the best she's ever been so uh, there we go 
Uh, that's more than five. No movies, no books, but we made up for more TV shows because TV is now by far the uh, dominant form of entertainment. Uh, I, you know, I want to go back to my movies, so though, that I did love. You did think of one? What's Those up? two. Yeah, Spirited and... Um, the Adam Project. And The Adam Project. You, yeah, you love both of them. I mean, and, and honestly, we I mean, we've probably watched a dozen or somewhere between one and two dozen movies over the course of the year. Yeah. And the vast majority of the time, Jen's like, oh, why did we even watch that? And I'm like, hey, we can stop halfway through. And um, and so those really stood out to you as well because you love them so much. Yes. Um, those would go on my can watch this Of all time kind of I mean, movies. Spirited or whatever that one was, that's going to be every year for Christmas. Yep. I'm going to be surprised if we watch it again before the end of this year. Probably will. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Yep. Ripples. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Um, let's see. So moving right along to Joseph. How do you feel about media made by highly problematic creators? For example, if you found out one of the designers of your favorite game was a blatant racist, uh, could you enjoy the game? Personally, I have a hard time enjoying anything. If I know the creator is severely problematic, how about you? How about you, Honey Pie? Mm, that is difficult. <laughs> that is difficult because sometimes the thing that redeems somebody is, let's say, their work. Mm-hmm. And maybe they've pr- provided something wonderful <clears throat> to the world, and they personally aren't that great, but yet they have contributed something yeah. wonderful. Um, so I don't know. I suppose it's on a case-by-case basis. And part of the problem with social media is we know a lot more about people than we used to. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's probably yeah. that has probably been an issue since time Immoral. began. Yes, exactly. So I, I think actually... Maybe deeds count more than words in this particular instance. Um, well, I mean, it's interesting. A blatant racist, yeah, no. Uh, an apologetic racist, somebody who actually reckons with their problematic behavior, um, you know, publicly acknowledges, well, yeah, I was on the wrong side of whatever it might be, and I'm going to try to do better. I am very quick to forgive. And give a second chance to, uh, and to quite recognize frankly. that there's growth. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, hey, I, I went, I, I, I sensibly got canceled uh, two years ago, and um, you know, I recognized the mistakes I made, and my audience, uh, by and large, was ready to for um, forgive me when I looked deep and and took away lessons, and I think I came out of it as a better person as a whole. So I am inclined to extend that same grace period. I mean, I had to deal with this. When I was a teen and I realized, oh, my favorite band of all time, the Beatles, their lead singer is a wife abuser. And he admits it in a song. The first time I heard John Lennon say, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved. Man, I was mean, but I'm changing my scene and I'm doing the best that I can. And he did many interviews about that over the year, about how he would he literally beat his uh, spouse. And you know he got into fights all the time. And yet he's one of the you know, responsible for some of the greatest art humanity has ever created. Uh, I'm a Beatles fan. And so, I mean, yeah, but again, he reckoned with that. I mean, he openly admitted, yes, this is a, something that's a dark stain on my soul and I am trying to do better. And it's why I, I push so hard for peace because I know what's at, um, you know, at the cornerstone of my heart. And, um, yeah. And so I, I still love Beatles and I can sing along to that particular verse because that's him acknowledging, um, that he's been a terrible person and he is trying to do better. So if I see that from a creator, I'm willing to give them a lot of leeway, quite frankly. Um, and I think, now, some people say, yeah, but they're just doing it just to, you know, to get themselves out of a jam. I guess I am a bit more quick to 
ascribe positive motives to people. I think people can grow and change. I think people, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there probably are sometimes they are just, you know, ticking the box. Okay, well, I just have to do an apology. But I mean, I think you can usually tell when those apologies are insincere as opposed to people who really do the work and acknowledge what they did was wrong. So that's the way I tend to look at such things. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jen, what piece of glass art are you proudest of and why? Oh, gosh. Uh, ah! Uh, I think I'm going to say right now I am proudest of my Witwit, which are these little creatures that sure. are um, goofy fun because... Probably some in this box right here. Oh, clonk. clonk. Um, Here's one right here. Hello! I'm a Witwit. <laughs> oh, that's the one that's looking up. The eyeball. <laughs> yeah. um, just because I think that they have brought a lot of joy and happiness and silliness and goofiness to people's lives, and maybe we've needed that. Okay. So I think, as, again, as a thing that, that maybe has made a, a greater impact, hmm? I, think, I think I could be happy about that. Well, I mean, you raised $10,000 for Ukrainian relief by making wit what? Oh, thank you. Yes, wit there wow. was that. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yep. Okay, and then imagine if you had to compete in one section of an Ironman triathlon, oh. which would you volunteer for The and why? The two-and-a-half-mile swim, the 112-mile uh, bike ride, or the 26-mile run? I think I would do the run. you do the run, really? Yeah. yeah. 26 miles? Yep. And why? Uh, because I did do some 5Ks and 10Ks <laughs> when I was younger, mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's achievable. I'd have to train for it and stuff, of course, but I used to really enjoy running. Yeah? So. You did a 10K? Yeah. Okay. So you would do it because it would get, I mean, oh, this is my target, and it'll get you back into something you know you loved, and you just can't seem to make time to do now, kind of a thing. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Um, for me, it'd be the two and a half mile swim, or 2.4 mile swim. I'm an excellent swimmer. I'm I am uh, just as home in in water as I am on land. I've been swimming my entire life. I became a certified scuba diver when I was 12 years old, and uh, man, uh, I, I I would have liked to have said bike ride. Uh, you know, back when I was still working in Bromley, I I, I biked for what was it? At least two hours a day through heavy London traffic. I have been hit. On, I think, in the course of my life, six six times I've been hit by a car and uh, gone up on the roof, hit the windscreen, all of that stuff. Uh, and yet I kept on biking. I've, I've also loved biking my entire life, and I could certainly see making a go of that, except... During my time biking in Bromley, I did something terrible to my right knee. I went to physical therapy for months, never saw anything, I never got through it. And to this day, I cannot bike for probably more than 5 or 10 miles without just getting incredible sharp splitting pain in my knee. And it breaks my heart because I love biking. And so, But that's kind of gone because uh, I, I just can't do it for any length of time. And, geez, running for 26 miles, that's ridiculous to me. And I love swimming, so I think that would be uh, fun. And I just like being in the water, so that'd probably be where I would go. Good question. Okay, Lance has a few questions about TV shows and movies. Oh. Have you ever watched Euphoria and Succession? If so, what are your thoughts? Two of my favorites. Jen has watched neither. Jen not, would watch neither. I've watched Succession. I think it's fantastic. Oh, by the way, I should say... That list we did a bit ago about TV shows, uh, we also very quickly realized we had to limit them to just shows that were new for 2022. Mm -hmm. Because if we were just saying, oh, all shows, 
And Jesus, it's such an incredible golden... I mean, there's so many amazing TV shows. Um, but we just limited... Okay, new shows for the year 2022. Um, but anyway, um, Succession, I think, is fantastic. I absolutely adore it. It's uh, so gripping. Euphoria, I know I should watch. I just do not care about teenagers unless I have superpowers. So I just never got around <laughs> to trying it. Uh, let's see. Have you watched any of Jordan's Peele's movies? I just watched all three for the first time, and I was very impressed, as am I. I you know, I've, I've seen them in the order they came out. Uh, Get Out and what was most recently Nope and what was the interim one oh uh, was it Us yeah I think it was Us they were all great I think um, Get Out is the strongest of the three although boy Nope was such a if you get a chance to watch Nope knowing nothing about that movie go in uh, try to avoid knowing anything about that that just uh, was really really clever and uh, Us was great too but Us I think really was a bit more of a stretch Um, it was it's like okay, yeah, the, you know the individual moments are amazing and the performances are great and you know what it says about society, but this doesn't really add up. This doesn't physically make sense that these things could actually happen. I mean, so it's it's a great ride, but I mean, I, and I love them all, but it's just, I think it's the weeks of the three because again, I wouldn't want to spoil anything. I mean, don't don't go into us knowing absolutely nothing if at all possible because you know uh, these movies are full of whoa, I did not see that coming, and I wouldn't want to spoil any of that stuff. Alrighty. Um, what are my thoughts on Get Out, Us, and Nope? Oh, you wrote them down. I, I didn't have to remember their names. Uh, well, anyway, I just gave you some thoughts. I've seen all of them. I think they're all great. I can't wait to see what he comes up with next. Just absolutely amazing. How did the key and P guy tur turn into uh, you know uh, um, into this guy? Uh, incredible. Alrighty, uh, Shanks is back asking Space Quest or King's Quest. Um, Roy, this was a quick one. We didn't have any personal questions, folks. I thought we were going to spend more time on movies and books until we realized, oh, we just give up. <laughs> um, Space Quest or King's Quest? I um, have played neither of them, Shonks, quite frankly. Um, I know they're old Sierra... Uh, I believe they're Sierra point-and-click adventures. I was never really into the uh, Sierra Games point-and-click adventures. I was into the LucasArts stuff. So the LucasArts stuff, uh, the best one by far has to be Full Throttle of all time. And then probably Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. And then, yeah, I know, I probably should give, uh, was it Maniac Mansion? The top? No, but it's got to be Full Throttle. Uh, just as uh, to side swap. Uh, okay, and that's it for personal questions. Not very many. Folks, we need those questions. The questions are raw.com. But that's okay. We're now moving on to Jen's Words of Wisdom. From one of my favorite authors of all time, I have read probably half of all Steinbeck's books back when I used to read a lot, and I hope to do it again someday in the future. But in the meantime, Jen found this and thought of me and sent it to me, and so she says, you should read this, and I'm going to read this. <laughs> Only in laziness can one achieve a state of contemplation, which is a balancing of values, a weighing of oneself against the world, and the world against itself. A busy man cannot find time for such balancing. Uh, we do not think a lazy man can commit murders, nor great thefts, nor lead a mob. He'd be more likely to think about it and laugh. And a nation of lazy, contemplative mid would be incapable of fighting a war unless their very laziness were attacked. Wars are the activities of busyness. John Steinbeck. So are you pro-laziness, honey pie? I'm yes. very lazy. Yes, I think that's the ultimate... <laughs> reason to be lazy. Yep. I think our, one could make very strong pushbacks uh, that in, you know, in, a, in a nation of laziness, uh, you'll get fascism pretty soon too, because you, you, I mean, you know, war, war for war's sake is not great, but war to ensure freedom. 
don't know. I don't know if I agree with the great man, but boy, I still did love his books back when I used to read a lot. Okay, time to move on to dogs. We have one dog from Shonks. Um, we include a pic of a pooch for our perusal. Morgan is our not-so-little one, a Staffordshire Terrier. Staffy, as they're known. The rescue poor girl was afraid of the world when we got her and took us almost a year to get her to give a little woof. Treats helped. Uh, she just enjoyed her first snow as we recently moved from Florida to Vermont. I would include a pic of her uh, in it, but I ended up capturing her first snow poo. So I figured this picture was cuter. She loves the snow. I wish more people knew just how sweet, kind, and loyal pit bulls can be. And look at that. Oh, she's lovely. Oh, is she wearing a sweater? Oh, I thought she, she said, yep, yeah. They've, they've matched her. I know, her yes, a colors. stealth sweater. And, um, and then a whole bunch of games in the background, games. too. Yep. There's... Uh, uh, Mars, uh, the, uh, I assume that's uh, the dice, uh, the card game, and man, I can't read those games. That's a very out of, but that's not, oh, life! The game of life, right next to Terraforming Mars. But, um, yep, that, what was it, Morgan? Uh, yep. yeah, Morgan, that is a cutie patootie. Yes, and yeah, pit bulls, I mean, they're so wonderful and loving, and I know they get a bad rap, and yeah, there have been some people who abuse their dogs and turn them into monsters because the people are monsters, but, you know, that is not their natural state of being. No, they they're... used to be the nanny dog. Really? Yeah, they were actually used to watch children and stuff in, like, the 1800s, 1900s, in, in um, England, at least. Wow, I did not just, know that. Yeah. Because they're so insanely loving yes. and affectionate. And um, very patient and yeah, they don't yeah, mind yeah. children climbing all over them and all yep. that sort of thing. Yep. And then some assholes um, bred them to fight, fight and, and then be, it became a societal thing. A, f a few uh, bad events, you know. Uh, but man, that is, she is a sweetheart. Okay, and folks, we have now made it to the end where I'm going to get back to Jack, who wants to know uh, favorite moments from Andor. Spoilers welcome. Jen didn't watch the show, so she is leaving. Say goodbye. Say goodbye. All righty. Thank you, everybody. Happy holidays. Yep. And I'll move the camera back over here. Although I'm not really going to spend too terribly much time on it. Uh, favorite moments. Favorite moments. Well, of course, I mean, the action was all fantastic. All three action scenes. By the way, folks, we're uh, full on. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna say spoilers once again. This is only for people who've watched the show. But yeah, I mean, obviously, amazingly staged uh, action sequences. Um, you know, made all the more powerful because they weren't trying to. Okay, we got to make sure we have our action scene in every single episode. Nope, nope, nope. We'll just build up for six episodes to have an entire episode long action scene. Let's see. So of the um, the like the three big the. The um, the heist, the jailbreak, and the revolt. Right, those are really. And maybe was there was there any other action Star Wars action at all? I don't think so. Which one did I like the most? Boy, um, probably the heist. Um, I, you know, because I think I was most invested in those characters. And that's not to say I wasn't super invested in Andy Circus and the, um, but. I, I think um, you know we got to really get to know the characters involved with the heist a lot more than we got to know the prisoners. I couldn't tell you the prisoners' names, but I was able to tell you the members of the heist named. Um, and, you know, really, all I know is Andy Circus and the overall. I mean, man, man, what an amazing science fiction concept! The notion of how that prison worked—that was absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, and it was great for. Um, I can't think. No, I can't even think of Andy Serkis' name. Of course, I I watched it two weeks ago. So I'm or was it? Yeah, a week ago. So I've already started forgetting names because I watched too much TV. But uh, I I'd, I would say 
Everything to do with the heist was absolutely fantastic, including, of course, the special effects uh, related to the um, whatever they called that meteor shower. Uh, and you know, everything was so smart. And you know, I was like, "Oh, come on, don't do the thing. Don't let the plucky young kid die." And I know he's gonna die, and he's gonna be the inspiration, and that's gonna be what turns Andor over, um, you know, and, and gets him to change his tune. And I know all this is gonna happen, but you know, uh, what happened to me? I used to. Uh, or I mean, is it just these Star Wars shows? I mean, it really feels like these Star Wars shows just tick a lot of boxes. They're just so obvious. Even this one, the best one of all time. Okay, as soon as I saw that kid and I saw, oh, he has a journal? All right, he's going to die and he's going to give that journal to Andor and that's ultimately going to be the thing that pushes Andor over into becoming the man he is when we see him in Rogue Squadron. And surprise, beat by beat by beat by beat, he was. And that was too bad. Um, so, uh, but it's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with I just uh, you know hitting uh, you know like a, it's like a song hitting a really satisfying note. You know, but first time I've heard this song, I know where it's gonna go because it's just so well written and it hits those. I mean, I assume there are cliches in composition, just like there are cliches in storytelling and movies and TV. But still, I mean, I, I, it was so well done. But I mean, for the brief moment, I thought, oh, he's actually gonna live. They are going to, uh, uh, you know, and it, actually, I guess if anything, that did make you know his death a bit more powerful and impactful because I thought, wow, he's actually gonna live. They're they're going to subvert expect. Nope. Oh, then he died again. So I got the rug pulled out from under me. I, I thought, oh yeah, of course he's gonna die. Oh, oh, there it is. He's gonna die. Oh, he's you know he did his final sacrificial thing and they oh, made it to a doctor. He's gonna live. And no, they didn't. So. I, you know, if, if they're going to do the uh, the the cliche, they did it fairly well. But um, again, as I started mentioning before, um, I'm just talking about the Andor stuff, and that was really the least interesting things. Um, you know, the story of a quiet little ambitious troll of a man was fascinating to me, and how he, because of an incredibly reductive and abusive relationship with his mother, uh, he could only find worth um, by pursuing fascistic ideals, I thought was absolutely amazing. I mean, the kid is basically an incel, um, you know, and so, and obviously, I am sure the developers, uh, the writers, uh, the showrunners, we're drawing parallels to the world we live in today and using Star Wars as a method to make a real-world commentary. And I think that's absolutely amazing. Um, because Star Wars has always been a very political show. Uh, everybody's... Uh, you know, Because the original Star Wars was a searing indictment of American folly. In the original Star Wars... George Lucas has said this... Um, America is the empire. Um, you know, and Star Wars fans uh, keep saying, hey, stop putting politics in my Star Wars. It's always been there. But rarely has it, you know, I mean, and this is a true return to form. Um, you know, using a galaxy far, far away to be a parallel and a corollary to the world we find ourselves in today and the social movements we find ourselves in today. I absolutely love that. So I find myself drawn to those storylines uh, so much more. Um, you know, uh, can you be a good person if you are just, hey, I'm just doing my job and my job happened to be doing something terrible. But also, this was by far the most interesting and engaging um, uh evaluation of what it takes to run a successful rebellion um I can't think of it. Waylon? What you know, uh you know, the 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 art dealer. I can't think of anybody's names but Cassian's uh name. You know, 
uh, you know, his big speech on the bridge was absolutely amazing. You know, what have I sacrificed? Uh, you know, we're engaged in a little bit of self-pity, but, you know, I mean, I, that's what everybody goes to. I, and it was an amazing speech, but I found much more interesting, you know, when he's talking to Saul Guerrero. I remember that name for some reason, even though I've never seen a single episode of the animated shows where he was laying out very openly, look, this is what we need to do. We need to make lives people people's lives so miserable that they will rise up because they've gotten complacent and they will just, you know, slowly boil in the um, ever um, hotter pot of water. And we need to turn up that heat faster. We need to make people suffer. And, um, you know, and, and what Mon Mothma, you know, the lady who just talks about Bothans dying, what she has to go through, the choices she has to make, the sacrifice she has to make are absolutely super compelling. I don't know why I'm being vague. I'm, I feel like I still need to be somewhat vague, but I mean, that stuff was phenomenal. And, you know, Cassian Andor, he's, you know, he's very well done too. Uh, was the actor's name? Diego Luna. He's, he's a good charismatic actor. But again, I feel like I, I understood what was going to happen with that. I mean, because I, I know where he ends up. I, you know, I know he becomes, you know, uh, somebody willing to do anything, willing to die for the cause. And that's not where he is at the beginning. So I know what his journey is going to be. And as soon as I see there's a journal, I know that's going to be a big part of it. I still do think it's amazing. You know, the final words of the show, wasn't it? Um, Kill me or take me in. That was really well done. Um, but I mean, honestly, he's still the least interesting. And, and but I say that, he, uh, you know, unlike, you know, Boba Fett or the Mandalorian or, um, that wasn't true. Obi-Wan Kenobi was the best thing about the Obi-Wan Kenobi show because Ewan McGregor was just so absolutely amazing. But even still, I found the, uh, you know, the, the storyline of, uh, oh, the, the, the girl whose name I cannot remember or her character name, but I found her growth and relationship with Darth Vader and with Obi-Wan and, you know, the brief detente they had. Th those are always the best things about that show, too. I want to call her number three. Was that what, what she was called? Does she have a name? Um, so that's always been the best. It was the best stuff here. Um, and there were so many interesting moments. And really, it was just that first 15 minutes where it's just, oh my gosh. Okay, yes. First, we're in a, we're in a, a, a grimy city. Then we're in a brothel. Then we're in a dark alley. Then we're on a grimy, muddy street. Then a dog is pissing on a robot. And it's just like, just compounded moment after moment after moment that this is just grime porn. And I mean, is this just going to keep going? Why am I going to watch this? Why am I going to spend any time on this? When the dog, I mean, if the dog had walked up and actually licked the robot, I would have, oh, well, I didn't expect that. Uh, okay, maybe, uh, you know, that's saying, you know, even a, you know, a, a rose can grow in the mud kind of a thing, you know, but nope, they said, okay, let's just keep on uh, grinding things down. I did really like the robot, too. Um, you know, that's an interesting thing that always is ignored by all of Star Wars, that Star Wars basically has state-sanctioned slavery, and everybody's fine with it. Even our, our brave heroes are fine with it. And I've always thought it was interesting because, you know, as revealed in the prequels, there's this notion that, um, well, yeah, the reason all of society is fine with droids being a subservient class, and we don't serve their kind here and all that, you know, again, parallels to real-life slavery, is because the entire galaxy still bears the generational scars of, yeah, the droids try to rise up and destroy us 
us all. You know, and most people don't really know what happened on the front lines or we know the real reasons what the mass names were going. But most people just know, yeah, droids tried to wipe out all of humanity. Droids tried to take over. So yeah, of course, they're second-class citizens. Of course, we treat them like garbage. Of course, we think nothing of mind-wiping them. Even our bravest, uh, most noble heroes think nothing about just mind-wiping a droid because it's convenient, even though these are clearly sentient creatures. And I've always found that to be a very, very interesting... um, uh, dichotomy in the Star Wars that's never really explored very much. Which is too bad, because there's really a rich foul. But I, I love the fact that, hey, uh, you know, here is, I mean, probably more than any other time we've ever seen uh, in Star Wars, a, a droid that characters have real emotion for. And the droid expresses emotion, too. And I thought that was actually beautiful, and you know, the fact that it stutters and all that. And it reminds me how stupid it is that R2-D2 can only speak in clicks and whistles. There's just no logical sense to that whatsoever. It's just a dumb thing that they did, um, and it just doesn't hold up to scrutiny. But regardless, it doesn't matter. Uh, so I, I really like the robot and the way it was handled, and how, you know, um, you know, obviously it was... Oh man, I can't think of any names today at all, uh, even though I should totally remember the moms. Uh, Fiona Shaw! Fiona Shaw! Uh, you know, and I, I, for folks who don't know, you know, her final line of Fight the Empire, which was actually recorded as... Something else has started with F, but then they dubbed it at the last second. But if you look, you can see her lip syncing is what she really said. What would that have been like if they had actually done that? If she had actually said F the Empire? That would have really taken you out of the moment. I think they probably made the right choice. I mean, I get it, and I agree with the sentiment, but we've never heard real world, um, you know, other than damn or I'll see you in hell. That's the most we've ever heard. So to hear an F-bomb in the middle, uh, I think it probably was the right idea. Their heart was in the right place, but it just would have really kind of derailed the scene to hear a character say... Um, uh, I'm still trying to keep this a family-friendly show, as did they. Although, man, Andor is not a family-friendly show. I think Andor is really the first time we've ever had a Star Wars property where adults can't really watch this with their kids, thinking that their kids will enjoy it as much as they do. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. I mean, um, Andor is the closest Star Wars has ever gotten to what I've come to expect from Star Trek, quite frankly, uh, you know, in that it does use its, uh, you know, it, it, it um, it's an it's a mature adult show that is um, not just trying to sell toys and uh, you know just tickle your pleasure centers with lots of you know big special effects laden space fights. I mean, the, over the entire show, twelve episodes, we have three action sequences. They're all very long and they're all very impactful. But yeah, it's. Absolutely fantastic. Let's see. Anything else of note? Um, yeah. I just would have been happy if the entire show had been sent in Coruscant. I still want that. I want, you know, lives uh, under the Empire. I want the, more stories of that Star Wars. But anyway, there are a few random thoughts off the top of my head uh, for you, Jack, and for anybody else who made it this far. Andor is fantastic. I still do think I have to give the nod to Last Jedi. Um... Be, uh, for, for a variety of reasons, which maybe we could talk about another day. But, uh, folks, we are Dunsville. And um, uh, once again, we need more questions. Uh, so be back next month. And uh, thank you all for, uh, for listening and for those of you who support the show. And uh, have a very, very nice day, everybody. Talk to you later. So long. Uh, bye-bye. Mm-hmm.